Hello, and thank you everyone who's stopped by for today's Merge World Dungeons & Dragons Storytime stream. Um, hello, Nathan. Thank you very much for stopping by. Um, today we are doing episode 6 of our little Dungeons & Dragons adventure here. Um, six of many, it would turn out. Um, I was sitting down earlier today, just kind of in my head, mapping out how much story is still left. And uh, kind of caught myself off guard because I was like, wow, there's going to be a lot of episodes <laughs> where we've barely, barely scratched the surface at this point. Um, this is the beginning of what I would consider the start of the main part of the adventure, which in itself took years of playtime. So there's a lot still going on. Um, but... I do appreciate everybody who has been uh, watching along and keeping up with the story. I appreciate all the feedback that I've been getting. Um, feedback's been coming on the comments to the videos. I've had a couple people send feedback directly um, through my website, onlydraven.com, down at the bottom, sent me an email there. Um, and actually had someone post a review on iTunes on the podcast, which was very flattering. I appreciate that. Um, everyone who's checked this out on iTunes, uh, if you're not aware of that, the this story that I'm doing here, I do put in an audio format as a podcast. Uh, it'll be out tomorrow. I usually have it out within 24 hours of the actual video episode. So for some people who might have an easier time listening to it while driving and stuff, I start putting it up there. Um, and so far, I've, I've had a few people uh, check it out. At least I've got several five stars, which I'll take, and uh, a rating. So I appreciate everybody who's been checking it out and listening. It's obviously something very near and dear to my heart, and it's awesome that other people out there are enjoying it as well. So I appreciate everyone who's tagging along. Um, I'll give it, of course, a few minutes just before I fire up. I usually just kind of chat for the first five or six minutes, give people a chance to show up. There's always a few stragglers that tag in. Um, but where we left off last week, um, party number one, that was Willow, Darsh, Fig, Mercy, and Fig's little companion, Moog, were down deep within the underdark grounds of Merge World. Um, where they had successfully made it through a uh, dark dwarf kingdom. They had made it in and out of a drow kingdom. Um, I wouldn't completely call it unscathed, but they did survive it, so that's more than the vast majority of living creatures could pull off. Um, and then they made it to a underground, well, in the underground, found a fortress. They had to fight a large beast, and at the very end of it discovered... Uh, something important. Um, I just kind of touched on that and then tried to leave it off on a cliffhanger, uh, which it took me a little bit of work to time that out so it would end on a cliffhanger, uh, but that was definitely where I was going with that because uh, I thought, hey, why not, right? <laughs> so some of you probably figured out what that cliffhanger is. I didn't make it too subtle, but I did kind of leave it on a little bit of a hook there. I, I hopefully what somebody's appetite to want to come back. Um, today because I'm a jerk, we're going to be starting with the other group. So we're going to be moving into the other team and, and what they've been doing for the last little while. We'll come back to the first group in a bit, of course, but it's time to see what group number two was doing. And that was the group of Shadow, Dandy, Artemis, and who was number four? Um, Zarin. So Shadow, of course, is a warrior ranger. Pretty, uh, pretty able fighter, uh, very secretive, very quiet. People don't know a lot about their, his past. It's something he's kept very subtle, but uh, 
He is in this group. Um, the group itself is kind of led by Artemis, who is a cleric. She's a cleric of the God of Healing, and his name is Tavian. Pull up my book of gods here, because we're going to be touching on a little bit of that today. Uh, she cleric Tavian, uh, so healing and uh, on the side of the light, obviously, good cleric. Um, and very often they're ticket into places. Um, then we have Dandy, who's the Kender rogue, who is, if you're not familiar with Kender, I'll touch on that again, because it's been a little while since we've seen Dandy. Kender are a race uh, originally created from the Dragonlance series, Dungeons and Dragons, and they are, if you had to pick them, relatively short elven looking. Uh, they're pretty short, but thin. Uh, usually keep their hair long in a top knot or side top knot or pigtails, depending on their gender. Um, they are very lighthearted. They're very carefree. They're also overwhelmingly curious. They're immune to fear. Um, in fact, depending on who, which story you're reading, most of them even immune to dragon fear. Um, but uh, because of that, they have a habit of not living very long. Things that common sense would tell us not to get involved in. For them, it's just curious. There's no fear of death. So they have a habit of uh, not living to an old age. Uh, but they are overwhelmingly agile. Uh, make great thieves, although they would never consider themselves thieves. They're uh, phenomenal pickpockets, although often they steal things without realizing it. When uh, confronted with their theft, they're shocked that it's even happened. You know, a lot of times, like, hey, you must have put that in my backpack. I would have never taken that. Because in their mind, they, they really didn't. And then the last part of the one in the group is Zarin. Uh, Zarin is a halfling mage. Um, his family wears dark crimson robes. He's from a family of... Um, I guess you could say, I wouldn't say mercenary mages. Merchant mages is probably better because they would sell themselves out as bodyguards or as seers to help find someone who's lost, whatever the case may be. Sometimes they would work in kingdoms as, uh, you know, the official mage of that kingdom, but they, they did it for coin. It was a family business, if you will, a very large family. Um, and much like the other characters, they are all trying to find their way home. And... Right now, they're on a quest to try to gather the magical artifacts that all went missing after the Great Merge. Uh, Zoltan, the demigod, has tasked them with this quest, saying that only these two groups, or these group of eight friends total, um, have what it takes to go ahead and get them back, and that there is also a force of darkness out there that is trying to get them as well. So it's a bit of a race against time. Um... This group, of course, split up from the other group because they have each group has a magical necklace that when you spin it, a light shines out, much like a laser pointer, in the direction of the closest magical artifact. And at one point, it pointed to, they pointed two different directions. So they decide to split up. And the first group went off to the west, and they've gone and had some adventures, and we've talked about them. Or sorry, to the east. Now we're going to talk about the group going to the west. Um, a little bit more about this group. Artemis, of the four of them, very often is the leader of the group. Um, when entering into a kingdom or a city or even just a town, being a cleric of healing, she's, of course, always welcomed. Who doesn't want someone who can heal around? Um, everybody knows she, clearly she's a good cleric, so nothing to fear there. Um, so even though some of the other characters might look scary uh, or imposing or even dangerous, um, they can very easily play it off as they are her guards. So in public, a lot of times, she, she acts as if they work for her. And they understand that it's just a way of getting in where they need without a lot of conflict. Um, strategically, Shadow probably does most of the decisions in that regard. Um, he's, he and Dandy are both very stealthy, so uh, he's an elf, of course. 
in case I forgot to mention that. Uh, so they're both very agile. They work really well together. They can communicate relatively quietly with just motion gestures. They, they're great at sneaking, spying. So they do a lot of the scouting and the protecting of the group. And then Zarin, who likes to think he's the real leader of the group, uh, is very intelligent, but he's also very self-serving. Um, and of course he knows that at this point, his allies and his friends, I mean, he's not evil, he's not trying to kill anybody, he's, but he knows that this is a means to an end. He's trying to get home to his people, um, just like they all are, and he knows this group, at least right now, seems to be the best way to do that. And the fact that a demigod popped in and threw this quest at their feet, to him is like, okay, good, this is clearly the way I need to proceed. I'm with this group. Even a, even the god beings are, are, are looking down at this as positive, so I'm in the right spot. I need to keep with this. Um, but he's uh, usually the first one to seek some type of reward or payment for any services that they may do. Um, and this one, of course, the goal is to get home. He'll, he'll take that. So we're going to go back in time a little bit, of course, to when the group first split up. The original uh, idea was that they were each going to travel three days and come back unless they found something that they needed to continue, and then so they would do accordingly. Um, obviously, the first group never came back. Uh, this group doesn't really end up either, but for slightly different reasons. Uh, they left that morning, and they proceeded to go west. Um, if you remember where they were splitting up, there was kind of a mountain range to their north, so they're kind of going around it. Um, and much like Willow's pendant in the other group, which led her up and... Um, backwards here, up and east around the mountains, this one's leading them up and west. Um, and the, the mountain range is very going up and widening as they're traveling. So they're getting further and further apart from their friends the more they're traveling in that direction. And the amulets are, are very good at pointing directions. So it's not always, you got to go this way, points through a tree. It does seem, and, and both groups come across this, that it will very often lead them the path they need to take to get where they're going. So sometimes if there's a great, you know, huge river you can't see across, or a lake, it may actually direct them around the lake, or the shortest path. So they learn very quickly that following the amulet's directions are usually the best route to get to where they're heading next. And that's where we're kind of starting off today. So uh, we'll jump on that here in just a second. Let me get a drink here. All right. Now, so these guys, this group of four, they start traveling as well, and they travel for a good two days, and they're, they're halfway through their third day, and they're starting to think, well, we haven't really come across anything specific. We're going to have to make a decision here very, very soon whether or not we're going to need to turn around and go back to the other group, or do we continue after this magical item? Uh, Neon says in chat, thank you for the refresher. You are very welcome. <laughs> um, so, like, we have to make a decision very soon. So, tonight when we camp, we have to make a decision. Do we go one way or do we go another? Do we continue on searching after this magic item where the amulet is taking us, or do we try to book it back and see if our friends are there so they don't find anything? Maybe we can all continue this direction together, or maybe they're in trouble and they need us to go that way. And it's the topic of conversation as they travel. And they're traveling across um, a mixture of, you know, rolling plains um, and forested area. Not super dense forest, but, you know, small forest. Sometimes plains in the forest, it's broken up. Uh, but no real signs of any civilization. They don't come across any towns and such. Um, unlike the other group who had a different type of road as they traveled, uh, very quickly um, Artemis's amulet is taking them off the roads and, and into these fields and forests that they're traveling through. So um, they haven't seen any sign of any real living population other than wild animals in the last couple of days. They came across a couple old ruins of homes or farmsteads that have clearly been 
uh, empty and left to ruin for a very long time, um, but nothing that would lead to any uh, current civilization in that area. So they're looking for a place to make camp, and the mountain range, as, as they've gone up, and again, I'm trying to do this the right way because it's backwards for me, but as they're heading northwest, um, the mountains kind of dip down a little bit if you will. So the mountain range coming up and then dimming out. So they realize at one point they have to go back a little bit southwest before they can loop around. And that's kind of the tip around that that they're looking to do um, where they're going to make camp. Because there's some forested area um, near the base of those mountains. The mountains are not far off. And they're pretty large mountains, you know, snow-capped up top. Clearly not something the group could just climb over. Again, they haven't seen any roads or paths or even nature trails or anything that would take them over it. So they've been skirting around the edge. Um, and they decide to make camp on the edge of those trees. Uh, there's plenty of dried wood there. Um, the weather is, where they are right now, is feels very mid to late fall-like. Um, and again, that's an important thing, and you're going to see me um, define the weather in different situations, because depending on which section of whichever world they happen to be going through at that time, they may go from fall to spring to winter, to summer, winter, summer, summer, winter, back and forth. Um, because as I mentioned very early on, that here in Merged Worlds, each chunk of land or world that's there has kept its natural um, environment. So as an example I used, if a desert was next to a, uh, let's say a frozen biome, it's all ice and snow, you'd think that in the middle where the heat and the cold mixes, there'd be a melting of the snow, it might be very swampy and wet there, uh, but it's not like that. It's literally a solid line. You can literally step into the snow, step into the sand. It's the, Neither one seems to be meshing together. The world, somehow the rules of that world are, are maintaining within their specific spot. And something I hadn't touched on, some of the worlds may be the size of a bedroom or something like that. Maybe just a small room is all that came from that world. And then there could be some worlds that are as big as a country. An entire kingdom could come through, or an entire ocean. Um, it's very diverse, and there are also times, and they haven't really come across this, but just for the world building itself, there are sections of the world that you may find here and then there. And they're from the same world, but they're very vast differences apart. Maybe they were next-door neighbors originally, and now they're half a world apart. And that's kind of the hope of these these characters, is that they can either find more chunks of their world, uh, find loved ones, friends, allies, um, or find a way to put it all back together so they can get back home. Uh, so our party is signed to make a camp. Like We're going to kind of rest, decide what we're going to do in the morning. And they get some lumber, they eat their meal, they talk. It, it's pretty much decided they haven't really found anything that would lead them to believe that they're getting close to another artifact. For all they know, it could be a month of travel that direction before they find another one. Uh, so as they're getting ready for bed, discussing it, they decide they're going to go ahead and turn around. They're going to go back and see if the group is there, if, if the other group is back at the original meeting space. Uh, it means they wasted three days going this way and three days back, basically almost a week of waste, but um, that was kind of what they decided on. Um, and then they'll go back there, they'll wait one or two days. If the group doesn't show up, then they'll either have to that point decide do they follow them and try to find their friends, or do they continue on this path. Um, as any good group should do in any fantasy setting, setting up camp in an unknown area, they do set up watch at night. They take turns. Um, even Artemis, who's the, probably the, the least combat-oriented of all of them, um, she uses a, a staff, of course, as a cleric. She, she has her, her staff, and it's not magical in any way. Uh, she also uses a whip, which is interesting, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but she does use a whip. It's, 
just kind of something that she found interesting in her youth. Um, not something commonly used by many clerics of healing, but it was something that she's using because while it can still be used for combat, it doesn't kill. Um, in many situations, it wouldn't even cause serious harm. Uh, so that's one of the things that drew her towards that. So it could still be useful in combat um, without really causing large harm, which is against her creed, of course, of, of trying to heal. Um, Shadow, of course, he dual wields swords. Um, he is fully ambidextrous um, and incredibly strong in battle. Uh, he also is a great marksman, of course. He's an elven archer uh, and a ranger, so he's, if you're game-wise, D&D-wise, he's got lots of pluses to those skills, so he's very good at both of those. Um, and as a ranger, of course, hide in shadows, move silently, he's got good scores, perks in those abilities. Um, Dandy uses a hoopack, and a hoopack is a kender weapon. It is a almost like a staff, but at the end of it, there's uh, a fork, if you will. It comes up and it forks, and in between that is a, what you almost call a... Uh, Oh, what do you call it? A sling. So it's a staff sling. So it can be used as a staff. It can be used to hurl items or even used as a... Um, and then the other end of it has uh, usually a metal tip spike. So it can be used almost like a spear. Um, in special situations, the top and the bottom come open. It's hollow and it can be used as a blow dart gun. It's probably the most common kender weapon that most people uh, know of. But there are some others out there that we come across later in the story. But she uses the traditional hoopack, uh, of course. And her other thing is daggers. She's very good at throwing daggers. She doesn't knife fight melee, but she's good at ranged daggers. Zarin also has a staff, um, but he primarily, he actually uses a sling, your classic David and Goliath sling. Um, and he has a couple of pouches on his belt um, of different stones, and he also has a pouch of um, steel balls, almost like ball bearings. Uh, that's something, his, that's the sling is something that's quite big in his family. All the mages usually train in the sling and something. Um, so he's, he's pretty good with his sling because, of course, as a mage, if you run out of spells, there's not much else you can do, and he sure doesn't want to run into melee combat. So uh, ranged is definitely his route, and Artemis would stay back and do that. Dandy may jump into melee, um, but this group is very, very ranged-oriented, um, at least in the beginning of a combat. Shadow's got his bow, Artemis has her spells, Zarin has his spells, and Dandy even has her sling or throwing daggers. So uh, a lot of times when these guys get into a combat, if they know it's coming, um, they're going to get a good few rounds of ranged damage against whoever they're fighting before it actually starts into any form of melee, at which point Dandy and Shadow will try to stay in front of Zarin and excuse me, Artemis to try to protect them and at the same time allow them to cast their spells to help protect them from behind. So it's a, it's a good working group and one reason why this group was chosen together. The other group really has more of the fighters in it, um, but this group has the stronger spell power. So they're making camp and they're at night. They're taking their turns doing their, uh, their, their watches, if you will. And um, it's Dandy's watch. Uh, she's in the middle of the night and she's just kind of sitting there sharpening a dagger, trying not to, you know, to entertain herself. She's whistling, but trying not to, uh, you know, wake up any of her friends because she understands how important it is they need their sleep. And uh, after she gets her dagger sharpened, she gets bored. She decides to start looking through her pouches because Kendra will normally have multiple pouches on their belts and maybe crisscross with their daggers and such because um, they're constantly picking up things. And they look at their treasures. And she's sitting there and she's, oh, here's a broken piece of glass. Here's a cool feather from a bird I found. Here's a steel bullet. This looks a lot like the kind that Zarin carries. I should let him know that I have one just like his. Maybe he'd like to borrow it. Things like that, you know. Uh, oh, hey, here's a dagger just like 
just like Artemis's. I should, you know, that kind of thing. So it's one of the, see what they found throughout the day. A pine cone, you know. The Kender, the type of person would see, uh, here's an incredibly big diamond, and ooh, here's a little wooden figurine of a dog. I want the dog. It looks cooler, you know. It's, it's not about wealth for them. And Dandy's sitting there, and she's kind of just looking through her stuff, while at the same time being very conscious of her surroundings. She's on watch. She knows that. Um, she's very good at her job. Um, and she has very good hearing, and she picks up some kind of a sound in the distance. It's very faint, but it sounds like a voice. And she just stops moving. And she just kind of sits there, and she watches, allows her eye... She has a little bit of infravision as well. Um, in this group, everybody has infravision except um, Zarin. Or no, Zarin's a halfling. He has it. Artemis is the elf, has it. Dandy has it. Shadow has it. Yeah, Zarin, they all have some form of infravision. Uh, Neon says, there's power in stories. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> very true. Very much so. Um, but uh, she just kind of relaxes. She's very faint in her breathing, allowing to take in her, and without moving, kind of taking in as much of the area as she can. Where she was sitting, she was kind of had her, her back more towards the woods, looking out more towards the plains at that time, and she makes rounds and looks. But the sound came from more from her left, so very quietly. She hasn't heard anything after a few seconds. She turns her head. She's very quietly putting her things back into her pouch, really subconsciously. She doesn't realize, you know, that that's going in without a sound. She's just that quick and that agile. But she's fully focused on trying to find the source. And she hears it again, again faint, but a little bit louder. And through the trees, she sees in a great distance, using my hand here, you can't see where my hand is, but seeing just the tiniest flicker of light moving. She waits again to watch and see if she sees anything else, and then she sees another second flicker of light. It's hard to tell if it's the same light source or another one, but it's definitely in the same approximate area. It doesn't appear to be getting closer. No more sounds are heard coming closer, but something's obviously out there. Dandy very quickly goes over. She's three quarters of the way to Shadow before Shadow's already up and going. Hearing her come, even in his self-conscious shadow, is very aware. He didn't pick up on the voices, of course, but Dandy moving, even in her quiet state, shadow picks up on them. So he looks up. She gives a little... They got their own little sign language. It's not like full sign language, but can give a I heard something kind of thing. He nods, and he gets up, and he starts focusing as well. She points in the direction, and then she starts moving to wake up the others. Once shadow is aware of... His hearing is phenomenal. Both he and um, Artemis, being elves, have the, the best hearing and the best infravision by far. Uh, they can see great distances. So he very quietly gathers up his weapons, douses the fire. They only had a small one anyways. And he starts heading towards the light. He's going to go scout this. Dandy understands that. She's getting the others up. So that way, if there is a problem, they're fully awake. They may need their magic. The others wake up quickly, being woken by Dandy and it's still being dark out. They know something's wrong because Dandy would normally wake them until it's their turn for the, for the watch. And her little, when she's waking them up, lets them know that something's going on. They very quickly gather their things, not quite as quietly. Zarin is probably the loudest of all of them, but even still, as a halfling, not as bad as say Fig or Moog by any means in the other group. So they kind of hang out there. They're sitting there. They gather their stuff. They pack up what things they need. They prepare their weapons, and they wait for Shadow to return. Shadow is moving very, very quietly and quickly through the forest. He's not going in a straight line. He's moving from tree to tree. He's trying to stay hidden, watching for signs of whatever it was Dandy saw. 
He didn't get any specifics from her, but it doesn't take long before he sees the flickers of light as well, and he sees several. So as he's moving his way up, the, the, he finds that, you know, he's moving his way closer towards those mountains to the north. So as he's going up, even though it's wooded, he sees that the, the ground is going upwards. So he's doing just a gentle climb up a slope as he's doing this. As he does, he occasionally hears some kind of sound. Uh, it's clearly like someone either speaking or calling out, but it's still at a distance, so he doesn't make out what it says. It takes him a little bit of time to get to where he's going because, again, he's trying to be very quiet and stealthy. But eventually he gets to a point where the hill kind of crests and then kind of breaks off a little bit. So it's not like a cliff, but it's like four or five feet of you know, dirt, flat area, and then it continues down again. So it's like a hill. And as he gets to the top, he kind of gets low and he's looking over. And what he sees is not good. Cliffhanger, see you next week. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> what he sees is two ogres. Ogres are very large. Ogres are very historically, usually depending on the world they're from, I guess, sometimes not very smart, sometimes a little bit better, but almost always going to be evil, dastardly type kind of creatures. And as Dungeons Dragons, I stay consistent. These ogres are clearly not good ogres. And I say that because between them, chained, are several prisoners. Zarin's sight, even in the darkness, is very good. The ogres are each carrying a torch, but they each have a chain. Like I said, there's an ogre, and then there are three figures chained between them, and then another ogre at the back. And they're making their way towards the base of the mountains, kind of the direction that uh, uh, Shadow was going. Because yeah, it's almost like they've... I'm doing a lot of hand motions here, so I apologize. So this, as an overhead, they were kind of coming towards the trees and then up in, and then this gr our group is coming here, so it's almost like they're merging up that way. Um, he sees that they're heading, he decides he's going to follow them to see where they're going. But at a distance, in case there's more behind them or ahead of them. He definitely doesn't walk into an ogre village. That's not good for anybody. So he's very car carefully staying at a distance, but keeping his eye on them, which isn't hard, because they're really not trying to be subtle. You know, they're just making their way, stomping through the woods. Occasionally, they're yelling or grunting at the like kicking or whatever the... the people in chains between them, which is the sounds that Dandy originally heard and which Shadow was hearing as well. Um, it's just them, ogres talking to each other, cursing out the, the three figures between them, which all look about man size, I should say. They all look human size. There's not short and stocky like dwarves or halflings. Um, potentially elves or half-elves, but they're definitely of a human size approximately, the sh shadows in the middle. But he's still seeing at a distance with the torchlight, and the torchlight actually messes up a little bit with the improvision because that light was going to kind of blow the infrared spectrum there a little bit. So he can only really see the silhouettes. He can't see as much detail on them. The ogres he sees a bit more because, of course, they're holding the torches, so he makes that out. Um, he follows them for a little while, knowing he can't be long, because then his friends are going to start to worry if he doesn't come back. But he needs to kind of see what's going. And after about 15 minutes, he sees that they seem to be slowing down. So he does as well to match their speed. And as he's following them, they get to, really, just a breaking in the rock. Like, the mountains are coming down, and there's almost like a big rubble had fallen, but it's been pushed aside or such, where there's an opening between several large rocks. And the ogres, just without stopping, march right in there with the, the three people in chains. Shadow can see the flickering of light from within inside where they went. He waits to see if it goes dark again. If it goes dark again, then they're traveling deeper by themselves. But after a few minutes, he sees the flickering light does not end. That means either they're right inside 
or there are other light sources inside. Maybe torches were already in there. Could be more ogres. Could be more whatever. He's trying to pick up on all of these clues. These are the questions the characters asked me while we were playing. So I'm kind of relaying the same situation to you. After a few minutes, nothing comes out. Nothing really changes. He decides it's time to go back to the group. He's able to go much quicker. He's able to retrace his step pretty fast um, while still watching to make sure there's no second group of ogres, but of which there is not. He runs into nothing else. And he returns to the party. And when he gets back to the group, he knows he's far enough away that he can speak openly. He doesn't have to be super quiet. He's not using a you know, blowhorn or nothing, but he, he's, he's speaking to them. And he explains what he saw. The group are like, okay, well, ogres are bad. People in chains probably good. This is the easiest deduction to find. Do we get involved? Is the question that Zarin asks, which his friends are a little taken aback by, but they know Zarin enough now to know it's, it's an honest question. He's like, hey, listen, we've got our own quest. We're trying to save worlds. We're trying to get home. We're trying to stop an evil from taking over. I understand helping out people in chains. Good people. Yes, fine. But do we want to put ourselves in a situation where we might lose our lives and not be able to do the greater good and save everybody? Needs of the many versus the needs of the few. And it's a very quick conversation of which Shadow kind of stays back. It's mostly Artemis and Zarin going back and Dandy, of course, throwing her two cents in. Because Dandy's always about investigating cool things. Um, and eventually Artemis says, well, let's, let's, let's check the amulet. We haven't tried the amulet in a little bit. Pops the amulet, starts spinning, and it points directly towards the direction that Shadow says the cave is. Zarin kind of puts his hands in the air. He goes, well, I guess that decides it for us then. Um, it goes, kind of makes sense. We've been dragged out here in the middle of nowhere. Figures the first problem we come across is the first thing we need to get involved in. But fine, he goes, I'm, I'm not going to argue that. I'm about the bigger quest. And if the bigger quest means going in there and helping the people in the smaller quest, then so be it. You know, that's fine. That's, that's okay. Because as long as we're working towards the main goal, he's cool with it. So they pack up the stuff that they had there that wasn't already packed. Pretty much was done. The group had it done, but they were trying to be quiet. And, uh, they start following Shadow. Um... Dandy goes ahead because, again, she's able to, by his directions, find the place pretty easily herself, and she can make sure that nothing else has changed while they're catching up. So she books it as quickly as she can to get towards uh, the thing. And they catch up eventually. They have to go a little bit slower to allow for Zarin, who's short and not very agile. Um, but he, they all finally all get up there, and they're kind of looking over, the, the, like I said, around an edge, and they see the boulder, and they're like, okay, nothing's come out since Dandy's been there. There's no real sounds from inside. Do we just march in? Uh, it's decided that Dandy's going to look around a bit first. Dandy goes up closer. She's looking around, looking for their secret doors. Is there another entrance? Is there a back door, another cave? And her and Shadow are looking a little bit in different directions while Artemis and Zarin are kind of hanging out in the middle watching to make sure nothing comes out, which nothing does. After about 20 to 30 minutes, they decide there's no other way in except for this front door. That's discouraging. I mean, they could walk through the door and there could be 20 ogres there having breakfast. You know, that's not the kind of situation they want to walk into, obviously. So they need to find out what's in there. Um, Zarin, unfortunately, does not have any spells that would really help in this situation. Neither does Artemis. You know, sneaky stuff's not really their forte. So it's just it's decided that Dandy's going to try to go in the cave and see what's going on. She's the smallest, and she's quiet, but if there's a problem, they would rather have Zarin covering it with the bow. She comes running out with a train of ogres behind him, then these three are going to be the best at ranged. They can start picking some of them off to help Dandy have the time she needs to get away. Which, in many situations, ends up being the, the normal process. Send Dandy in. If she comes out with bad stuff, we shoot it so she can get away. Very common Dandy process. Sometimes, without them knowing that's the process. That's just what Dandy does. 
Danny makes her way down. She's very quietly and she gets to the entrance. And she's listening and she doesn't really hear anything. She can see the flickering light. It doesn't move at all. So she assumes that there's some type of torch or bonfire. There's something inside that's creating the light. It's flickering enough that it, it's, it's a moving flame. It's not probably just a candle or something. It's bigger than that. But she doesn't hear any sounds. So as quietly and quickly as she can, she makes her way in and through the door. Her friends are a little nervous about this, but they know Dandy can take care of herself. Once inside, Dandy's looking around. And she can see that the place has a stink about it, as you would expect. And there's some just gear and things thrown to the side. Some old, Most of it does not look used in a long time. Um, more of a smell of, of, I guess you'd say of awful, of, uh, you know, waste, human or otherwise. Um, and there's the smell of just decay. But the real big problem is she can smell sulfur. There's a smell of, of a, a bit of a smell, sulfur tinge. Not a lot. But she can feel warmth coming from deeper down. When she comes in, it's more like a round chasm with one path that leads out. And it, it goes, the entrance comes in and then it curves very quickly so you can't see far down it. it. You can only see a little ways. And she can feel warmth, like a warm breeze coming up from that. Not real heavy, but enough that it's noticeable. She takes a few minutes, she listens down the tunnel. She doesn't want to go a lot further. No one else comes back up. She decides to signal her friends. She does, she goes outside, does her little signal thing, which a lot of times it's just to literally like take her blade and let it shine in the moonlight with her dagger. That's something that they use very commonly to, to if there's a light source to, to signal each other, just the shimmer of the blade means it's okay. So the others hurry down as quickly as they can. They get to the entrance. Dandy says what she sees. They all go inside. They're all inside now. They're like, well, best case scenario, there's two ogres in here with some people in chains that might be helpful to us. If we can get them unlocked, more people against two ogres. Worst case scenario, there's a lot of ogres in here. Um, and three more people in chains may not be that beneficial. But we'll have to find out. Because we need to get inside. Because Artemis spins her little necklace, and sure enough, right down that tunnel. Saren rolls his eyes, but nods, I understand, let's go. And they start making their way down the tunnel. As they're moving very quickly, they can tell that the temperature is getting warmer. And there's a sound of, like, not really of wind, but like a, a deep wind. Like a, hard to say that, like a, an echo of wind. And the wind doesn't really pick up, but it's almost like a, 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 a humming, if you will. The ground, like a little bit of vibration in the ground. And as they're moving on, they can see it's also getting brighter. There's a couple torches every so often. Half of them appear to be burned out, haven't been bothered to be lit in a while. Uh, but a couple of them will be lit up and every so often, and, and they can use that. Um, that means, unfortunately, they can't use InfraVision, so they are using the normal vision spectrum. As they make their way down the tunnel, they're listening, they don't really hear any voices at first, but then they hear something. Again, it's a voice, but they can't quite make out what it is. It's a deep voice. Dandy nods her head, and, and Shadow looks at it. To them, it sounds like the ogre voice. I apologize if you hear a siren in the background, an ambulance is going by the house. <laughs> apologize. Um, but Every so often they'll hear a deep voice and they can't tell if it's one or more. Dandy scouts ahead a little bit. The party follows up behind. Uh, Shadow's right after, is first, of course. We've got Zarin in the back and he's being careful to look behind him. Well, Artemis is kept in the middle. She's kind of the squishiest. And that's a term that we use very often. Keep the squishies in the middle. Squishies are always your spellcasters, the ones that don't have a lot of armor on. So that's your uh, Willow, Artemis, and Zarin are your squishies in the group. And Moog, very easily is a squishy. Um, but they, uh, Dandy gets up to the edge, 
I say the edge because she gets to what is clearly the end of the tunnel and it goes into a larger room that is very, very bright. And the noise she hears, that almost like rumbling noise, is louder by far here at the entrance. She goes in and she peeks around and this is what she sees. It's a large cavern, naturally formed. And in one end of it, there's literally a small river of lava flowing. Not very quickly, but it's flowing. Across from her, there's another opening that leads deeper inside. And it's a, it's a much wider opening, and there's literally a very ramshackled conveyor belt coming out. The kind you'd expect to find in a mine. Um, even then, I understand, well, it's not machine-based. It's a very, very basic one. Uh, with winches, you can turn it. There is an ogre spinning a wheel, and the conveyor belt is very slowly moving along. It's coming out of that other entrance and making its way to the lava, and things are just falling into the lava. The other group catches up to Dandy as she's seeing this, and her and Shadow, she's trying to explain what she sees very quietly, um, but there's that guy spinning the thing. There's another ogre who's down at the end, where it's going into the lava, who's helping push stuff off. So if it doesn't land right in the lava, they can. he's got like a, not like a, like a big wooden pole, he's just pushing things in. We don't know if this is the same two ogres, but it's the two ogres in the room. There's still light down from that other tunnel across the way, much wider, but it's not. they can't really hear a lot of sounds. The sound of the lava bubbling and rumbling, that's the humming that they heard. That's what's kind of really covering up most of the noise. And occasionally the one ogre will yell to the other ogre, because he'll stop spinning and take a break, because turning that wheel is not easy, even for an ogre. And then after a minute, he'll hit the other one to yell at him, and he'll be like, yeah, yeah, and I'm back to work. They can't understand what they're saying, because they're speaking an ogre, but that's the concept. It's like, yeah, and so on. Darsh does speak ogre, oddly enough, but he just doesn't happen to be here. <laughs> um, so, the ogre then will start cranking, and it'll, it, it moves very little bit, and most of it appears to be rock. Sometimes trash will be an old beam of wood, an old log, something of that nature. But what's really disheartening is occasionally mixed into that, they can see the remains of a body. Maybe just an arm hanging out, it's like a, whatever. But there's obviously occasionally a corpse coming through there as well. This is clearly not good. I've said that a lot today. There's a lot of not good today. Seeing the group, they're like, okay, well, we don't see any movement from the things on the conveyor belt, so they're probably dead. And they don't look, you know, it's worn, and sometimes you can see a bone sticking out, like an arm just snapped kind of thing. So it's clearly not just, you know, living people screaming. No one's making a noise. But, and, but it's mostly things like rock and such. It looks like some type of a mining situation, and they're throwing bodies in there as well. Whose bodies? How long the body's been there? Mm, don't know. So the party has a decision to make. Do we try to sneak past these ogres, which is going to be very difficult. It's a very well-lit room from the lava. Do we try to take out these two ogres, try to get them down before they can make any real noises and potentially bring up more enemies from the tunnel? Um, or do we just go in, kind of guns a-blaring, and try to blast them, regardless of noise, and try to catch them by surprise? So they catch them by surprise with... You know, spells and so on and so forth, they could definitely do more damage quickly, but they run the risk of, of others being alerted. It's risky because ogres are big, they're very strong, they're not that fast, but I mean, one good hit, none of them appear to be wielding any specific weapons other than that one big wooden pole, but that big wooden pole is as thick around as Shadow's leg. I mean, it's, it's huge. Getting hit with that, with an ogre's strength, could crack your back. 
you know, if he gets you in the right spot, definitely going to send you flying and cause some problems. So that's damage. The other guy is just cranking the wheel, but he's right next to a conveyor belt with rocks and things coming on. He could very quickly grab something and start throwing rocks. So sneaking by is not going to work. They determined that very quickly. We're not going to be able to sneak. So we either have to go in and try to take them down fast and hope the sound of the lava, which is loud, helps cover the noise, or we go and try quietly and take them down and run the risk that they're able to call out for help. It's, it's not a good decision either way. Both of them have their ups and downs. But they decide that in this situation, their best is to go in guns blaring, even though it may make more noise. Getting these ogres down quickly might make it easier for them to hold the passageway. Because they could backtrack to here and try to hold them at the passageway. Even Shadow with just his arrows might keep them pinned. And Shadow's aware of that. If they can get them down, he's definitely going to try to keep anything coming in pinned. That's his main thing. He's trying to hit the ogres. Once the ogres drop, he's going to start shooting anything that comes through. Zarin is going to cast a spell. For those of you who play Dungeons & Dragons, the spell that he decides to use is Magic Missile. Zarin has multiple combat spells, but several, he has Fireball, as all good wizards should. It's probably his most powerful spell at this point. But the problem with Fireball is, of course, it could also blow back in a, in a contained area like that. It could hurt the friends because Dandy's going to go rushing in and Artemis is going to try to cast some spells of her own. So he says, I'm going to go with Magic Missiles. Both he and Shadow are going to target one specific ogre. See if they can take him down quick. Dandy's going to try to get in and going to try to get behind the other ogre while then Shadow's using arrows to try to pin him. Because if she can get behind him, she might be able to hamstring him, stab him in the back. If you know anything about rogues in Dungeons & Dragons... Stabbing uh, rogues get do extra damage if they can get behind. It's mostly a sneaky thing. You know, if they see you behind, it's not the same. But if she can get that hit on a on a kidney or something like that from behind, you don't see it's coming. She can do additional damage. So she's going to kind of go in blazing. Hopefully, the first one falls while the second one's attention is being drawn by arrow shot at. She can try to get behind it. Maybe trip it. Maybe knock him down. Knock him in the lava. They're going to go for the one on the wheel first because he's the closest. Very thought out plan. I know it's a lot of detail, but they spent a lot of time talking about it. The characters did. I felt I would honor them by discussing the conversation. So, this is their plan. If this was actual Dungeons Dragons, I would tell them they do not have to roll for initiative. They get a surprise attack, which they did. And in the beginning, it goes off as they're expecting, as they're hoping. Shadow fires several arrows, getting the ogre very quickly in, in critical areas, doing a lot of damage. And then the blast of the magic missiles, um, if you're not familiar with magic missile, it is literally bolts of energy that shoot from your fingers. Um, how many you can shoot depends on how powerful you are and how much damage they do, but they don't miss. You pick your target, they're like heat-seeking. They're going to hit it unless that other thing you're aiming at has some way of magically dispelling it. So it's, it's a great spell because it doesn't miss. It doesn't do as much damage. It doesn't hurt as much as some of the more powerful spells, but it's a guaranteed hit. And if you can focus on the ogres, again, face, and that's what they're shooting for. They're aiming for the throat and face with the arrows and such. The skin of ogres are very tough. Getting into the heart or something, they might be able to pull off, but if they can do a lot of damage to his face, even if he doesn't fall, he's going to have a hard time fighting them. And they're successful. The damage hits it. The ogre manages to make a loud noise enough that it falls, but an arrow hitting in its throat cuts the noise off pretty quickly. And the ogre falls down, just kind of choking and grasping at itself because it's dying. You know, it's got an arrow in its throat and its face is all messed up. The other ogre, at first, doesn't realize what's happening. Again, the lava's very loud. And he's used to the other guy grumbling. He doesn't pay too much attention. So he's poking some stuff and then the conveyor stops for a second 
And he turns irritated that the conveyor stopped again because the ogres take another break. And that's when he sees arrows starting to come at him. And one hits him in the shoulder, but he, he very quickly is trying to brace himself because he's on the other side of the conveyor. Again, they, you, again, the conveyor is very along the ground. It's not high, but the stuff on it does give him a little bit of cover. There's big rocks and stuff, you know, that being pushed off. And now the conveyor stopped. It's he can hide behind that. But he's an ogre. He's not that smart. He's not going to hide for long. He sees the other ogres down. He sees little Dandy come running at him. Barely comes up to his knees, and his first thoughts are, "I'm gonna squish this." And with that big staff, starts swinging at her, almost like a whack-a-mole. She's very quick and manages to dodge the attacks each time. But he's well aware of her. She's not able to get behind him. The original thing kind of goes out the window. So she kind of forgets her um, daggers, the idea. She goes back to her hoopack. And she's just trying to dance and try to poke at him whenever she can. Stay in close because with that big stick, he's having a hard time hitting her up close. So she's trying to stay in around his legs, trying to poke and stab at his ankles and try to get him to lose balance. At the same time, he's trying to block arrows and another round of magic missiles. Artemis doesn't have a lot she can do in this situation, so she's kind of sitting there with her spells ready to throw a heal out if Dandy needs help, or something of that nature. Um, but again, she's more of a healing cleric. Later on, she gets a little bit more combat able, but in this early period, she's never really had to fight. That was not the training she had. She was meant to save lives, not end them. So she's more of a, you know, hang around, walking band-aid at the very beginning. A very, very intelligent, great speaker, uh, congresswoman kind of thing, but uh, in combat, not as helpful at this point. So, the ogre's trying to swat away the arrows, which are stabbing, he's protecting his you know face and such while trying to swing this, so he's having a heck of a time. But he's still keeping Dandy kind of tied up. Dandy eventually hops up onto the conveyor belt. Because now he's trying to hit. He's hitting the rocks. She's also dodging behind the rocks and the things that are there. And Occasionally, if there's something small rock, she'll take her hoop back and flip up out of his face. So it's, even though it's a small rock, it's still something he's trying to bat away. It's keeping him occupied. While Shadow is just arrow after arrow. While at the same time, Shadow's watching that other doorway, making sure nothing comes out. He's got to watch that. That's the last thing he needs. A bunch of ogres come running in and attacking. So Dandy's up there. And she's on the conveyor belt, and she's kind of dancing between the rocks, and she's combating, you know, dodging as much as she can while still stabbing. And she gets a good hit on his knee, and his knee buckles a little bit. Not knowing what else to do, she just literally jumps forward with her hoop hat, pushing as hard as she can. Now, she doesn't have a lot of strength compared to an ogre. But the ogre does lose his balance with his knee, and the arrows come to his face. He does start to tilt backwards, and Dandy's push is enough to push him where he stumbles backwards, and with a scream, falls into the lake of lava. The scream is cut short very, very quickly. He sinks very quickly. He's big, he's heavy, not a swimmer in lava. So the noise is cut off relatively fast. It was a little loud for a second. Everybody's eyes turns towards the other doorway. Everybody holds their breath. After a few seconds, nothing happens. While there was noise going on, whatever is down that passageway, if there's anything else living, it did not hear what was going on. They were very lucky. And Dandy goes to hop off the conveyor belt and lets out a little bit of a startled scream herself, not a fear, but at the hand that is grasping her ankle. Let me drink one second here. Wet my throat. Okay. 
Let's continue. Very quickly, she realizes one of the bodies is still alive. It's grabbed onto her, and he, whatever it is, whoever he is, <laughs> they random limbs. There are some random. Most of them are broken bodies. Is kind of what I meant, and I may not have described that well. Imagine if um, a huge rock had landed on a person and killed them, and their arm was cracked and broken. And they just throw the body on the conveyor belt. There may be the occasional just limb on there, but it's more like just bodies thrown in there. And you can see the arm of, of the body hanging out over a rock and you'll see part of the rock sticking out of it where it's literally just been busted, which could be anything. Maybe a rock fell on it. Maybe an ogre squished it. Maybe it's a fight club in there. I'm not allowed to talk about that. There's a couple of rules about that, but maybe there's some stuff in there going on. Who knows what, what caused the damage, but that's what it looks like, just bodies that are in there. And this, this one body, which is buried under rubble, the arm manages to grab her ankle. Oh, the random limbs. <laughs> no, not the random limbs. It's definitely a body. It's just buried underneath the rock. So Dandy immediately starts prying stuff off of it. Because it's a human-shaped hand. A little on the small side, but it's a human-shaped hand. And she's pushing it off. Her friends hear her startled, doesn't know what's going on. They come booking it over. Especially Zarin and, and uh, Artemis. Shadow's going a little bit quieter, keeping his bow knocked. Keeping an eye on that other tunnel. Ready to fire off an arrow should anything come out there at all. He's the one who's kind of got the best range and the best aim. He doesn't have to cast a spell, so he's he's kind of the guard, but he's also moving quietly and quickly as he, as he can. And Dandy manages to pull off most of the rocks of, around the head and face, and what she finds is a human. A human male. Probably doesn't look like late teens, maybe very early 20s. Thin, clearly. Um, clothes ripped, blood and cuts all over him and such. Nothing that appears to me like the busted limb things. For him, he's just there. Um... But looking half dead, if you will. He's definitely injured. Um, but very bright eyes. It's important. We'll talk about it later. But his eyes are still very clear. And he just looks up at Dandy and, and his eyes open and he, he tries to speak and he's looking at her. And she reaches down, takes his hand, and she's like, We're, we're going to get you. Hold on. We're, we're, my friends are here. They'll be able to help me lift these rocks off because they're a little bit heavy for her. And he just kind of passes out again. Artemis shows up and, Oh my goodness. I'm a healer. I can do something. And Zarin's like, oh, this isn't good. But he has a spell that he's able to use to try to help push that off. And Shadow finally catches up and they managed, him and Zarin managed to wedge that off. And Zarin's kind of levitating the rocks a little bit to get it off. Because there's one big one on the guy's younger end. Artemis steps in and immediately starts using some healing spells. Normally, she only has a certain amount of day. As a cleric, she only has a certain amount of spells every day. She has to pray to her god to grant his blessings and spells for the day. But she's got a limitation. Normally, she would save these for the party. But this guy obviously needs some help. He has long, almost blonde to a dirty brown hair. Um, and even though he's clearly a human male, he's on the relative small side. He's just barely a couple inches over five feet. He's pretty small for a human. Um, and at first you look at him, you think, oh, maybe he's just a younger human. But when you see his face, you can tell he's, he's average, like I said, late teens, early 20s. He's just not a big dude. And Artemis starts casting healing spells. And Shadow's like, we need to get him out of here. We need to get back into the original tunnel in case something comes out. We need to get back to a more defensible position. Artemis mentions motions that, yes, he's clear enough to be moved. And Shadow picks him up, a little startled at how light he is. You see, looking at his limbs, they're very, very thin. He's not eaten much in a while. And they quickly take him back and they put him down, so on and so forth. Shadow keeps an eye on the other tunnel. Zarin starts searching the guy to see if there are any signs of who he is, but his clothes are just basically rags and rips at this point. Um, like I said, he's thin, he's almost skeletal. 
The young man wakes up, although he's not really able to speak. They give him some water and, you know, try to get, he can't eat anything. If you know anything about me, he's not going to eat a sandwich at this point. He's, he's a little, he's, he, but water, great. He only takes small sips, but you can tell how awesome it is, like how relieving it is for him to get gulps of clean water from their wine skin or water skin. Dandy, standing there kind of holding his hand, because she, she's worried about that. It's like, oh my God, young dude, this is not cool. Um, and Shadow says, I'm going to go to the other tunnel and try to move in a little bit, see if I can see what we're up against ahead of this. Zarin's going to keep an eye from behind on the room, while Shadow and Artemis are also going to have to keep an eye at the other tunnel while they're helping the young guy. Because all they need, for all they know, another group of ogres could come marching down with more people in chains. But this guy, I doubt he was one of the ones in those chains. Just because he's obviously too weak to have been walking all the way here, which leads them to believe there may be more people down there. They could be slaves of some kind. It could be food. Who knows what they're going to do with them, but there must be more people down there. This, of course, gives them a little bit of hope of, okay, if this guy's still alive, there might be more living people. A, maybe we can save some people. B, if there are ogres, maybe we have some people who can help us in this situation. We can get them free. Maybe they can help fight. Obviously not in, if they're in this guy's condition, because he could barely lift his own body. Probably why the ogres just chucked him on there, thinking he was pretty much dead anyways. He's useless at that point, whether he's dead or not. The young man's color comes back a little bit. Artemis's healing spells are very nice, very potent. Um, and you can see some of the wounds, the small cuts and such on him. They were probably from rock and just being buried under there, healed up. It doesn't appear that he has any major broken bones. Uh, maybe a rib, she thinks, but she does her best to heal that. Um, but he's definitely got some cuts and sprains and stuff. And he's, like I said, more than anything else, he's just wasted away. Shadow, at this point, he's moving on down the tunnel. He's got to see what they're up against. He does not want a surprise here. And as he's making his way down the tunnel, he sees that the elevator, or the, what do I call it, the elevator, the um, mill thing, the wheelie, the thing I was talking about before, it's going up a little bit. So the things are coming down, things will roll a little bit. And he knows, at least in his mind, if that doesn't start spinning and moving soon, someone's going to come up and investigate why probably used to an ogre being lazy and stopping every so often, but stopping for 20-30 minutes, maybe not so much. Moving as quickly as he can, he gets to another area where there's another large cavern. This one much darker. There's no lava in this one. But he can see different entryways. It's very much like a mine. Very obviously a mine. You can hear the sounds of people picking at rocks, whether it be hammers or picks coming down from different tunnels. And he can see only two more ogres. And one of them is just kind of sitting uh, on a chair, just kind of like half dozed off. And another one just occasionally comes out of one of the little tunnels and goes down another one. Comes out and goes down another one. Like he's obviously making rounds. There's another larger tunnel that's much more well lit on the other side that the ogre never goes down. So at this point, Shadow's like, okay, I know of at least two more ogres and something else further down there. The treadmill, or not treadmill, you know what I'm talking about. The, the thing, I keep, I'm forgetting the word now, but the thingy that moves things that are moving. Conveyor belt, thank you. The conveyor belt <laughs> has not moving, but it, it definitely starts here. And after a few minutes, he sees what looks like another male human with a barrel, wheelbarrow of some kind, very crude one, come out of one of the tunnels and just start dumping and putting the stuff on the treadmill. Conveyor belt, I don't know why I keep calling it treadmill. Conveyor belt. And then weakly wobbles back down his tunnel. So I was like, okay, I've got an, I've got an idea of what's going on here. I'm going to get back to the group. 
I think we need to quickly try to do the same thing here. If we can get in and take these two ogres down and hope there aren't any down these tunnels where people are mining, then potentially we might be able to do the same thing. Take this room down quickly before the next group comes. Although this room, while there's noise, nowhere near as loud as the lava flow from the river. Shadow makes his way back. He gets back in time for the young man's eyes to finally open again. This whole process took at least 20-30 minutes in moving and such. And Shadow knows that time is of the essence. Eventually someone's going to come to investigate why that conveyor belt's not moving. And the young man's barely able to speak. They ask his name and he's able to say that his name is Michael. Now, I want to stress something very important here. Very early on in the very first episode of Merge World, I mentioned that there was a character named Michael who was the brother of the young woman who was the love interest of Rafe Firemoon. This is not the same Michael. The name Michael got used twice. Um, and there's reasons for that that I'll talk about in a later episode when it becomes pertinent. But at this point, it is a different Michael. I want to clarify that. Okay, so uh, this is the same Michael. No, it is not. So you're thinking the same thing. That's why I want to stop there. No, this is a different Michael. It is a different dude. Um, that guy was regular size. This guy's small, even for Michael. <laughs> so yes, Neon, Neon mentioned that. Either. Ooh, the same Michael. It's not. And I had mentioned at one point very early on that there was a couple of names that get used again. Uh, but this Michael, no, this is a different Michael. I like to assume that there are common names even in the even in fantasy worlds. In certain kingdoms, you may find, you know, John is a common name, or Uther is a common name. Michael, common name on this world? Common name there. Uh, I, can, I can promise this is the last Michael, though. There's no more Michaels after this one. <laughs> that I can think of at this moment. Yes, I'm pretty sure the only Michael. He says his name is Michael, but he's not able to say much. There, they ask a couple questions. How many ogres are there? He manages to say four. They're like, four including the two we just killed? Or four more down in, in the tunnels? And he says four more. Again, taking sips of water, trying not to cough. They got him sitting up a little bit now. And he's very thankful, you can tell that. But he keeps looking oddly at Dandy. Very, very easily, the, the, they're looking at him. It's almost like a suspicious look. He's looking at her oddly. He doesn't say anything. Every so often his eyes stare at her and he's like, hmm, hmm, kind of a thing. And Shadow picks up on it. Zarin does as well because Zarin's he's good to know Artemis not so much she's too worried about healing him and getting the such but Shadow and Zarin pick up on the, on the little looks and they look at each other and they're like you saying anything okay I saw that too and he says there's four more ogres there were six total and there are two more that left a couple of days ago there were four that left that they go out and they look for more slaves to come back two of them have returned there's still two more out there this is not good news that means two more could come back at any time they gotta be careful now you know there's at least two more behind them coming back eventually. Could be days. He said that they go looking for people. Sometimes they're gone for days. Sometimes they're gone for weeks. They just come back with people. He says that they're forced to work in these mines. There are about 10 to 12 more people down in there, forced to mine. Um, they just brought in three new ones. That, that's added to that total. Um, and it's men and women mostly being forced to mine and work. He doesn't know what they're looking for, only that anything other than rock they're supposed to draw attention to. But he also tells them that the ogres are taking commands from someone else. Someone else is in charge. And he's only seen that person once or twice. And they're like, okay, well, who's that? Is it another ogre? 
maybe a troll, large and imposing creature, something that even ogres would fear. And he says, yes, definitely he can tell that the ogres are nervous. They fear him. But it's not an ogre or a troll. It's a halfling. Zarin's shocked by this. A halfling? He's like, does he wear robes? Michael nods. Zarin's like, oh crap. Because the last thing Zarin wants to do is walk in on one of his family members doing a job. And he leans in very close and goes, what color are his robes? And Michael says, black. Zarin breathes a sigh of relief. All of his family wears red. It's their color. It's part of their crest. No mage of his clan would ever be caught in a black robe. Not at all. He can't even think of an actual clan that uses a black robe specifically. So he's like, okay, well, if it is a, another halfling mage, of course, it could be from another world. Who knows? But at least it's not someone he's going to have to worry about knowing. That's a sigh of relief to him, because that's the last thing he wants to do, is have to turn on his new friends to help a family member. Um, but at the same time, he's thinking, if it is a family member, maybe they know how to get home. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. And he says, have you ever seen him use magic? And he kind of shakes his head. He's like, okay. Oh, one moment here. That may be loud in a moment. Um, he's like, okay. Zaren's like, all right, good, good. We can deal with that. And he goes, i only seen him once or twice. He came in, he was talking to the ogres. I didn't understand what he was saying. He wasn't speaking the common tongue. That's where that is. <laughs> I said it was going to be loud. But thank you very much, Samson001, for the follow. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, but we're like, okay, he's only seen him a couple times. And he didn't speak common at all. Didn't even pay attention. He saw him in a bit of a distance. So they start asking a couple other things. Michael's gaining a little bit of strength. They're like, okay, if, you know, do you guys mind 24-7? There's their shifts. What happens? He goes, no, normally at some point they will stop them all, lock them into one of a round room that's been car caved out or carved out of the of the rock, and then they, it's like a wooden fence they just kind of put in front of it, and then an ogre watches them while they, you know, they get fed their daily bowl of gruel or whatever they're fed, and then they get a few hours of sleep before they're dragged out. He goes, we normally don't get more than three to four hours of sleep before we're out here mining again, and uh, occasionally people drop dead as they thought happened to me, clearly, and then they're just chucked onto the conveyor belt and they're never seen again. Michael says that he was actually out on a patrol several months ago uh, when they were overtaken by the ogres and he was captured. Um, and he basically woke up in here. He's never been in the mines. He's been forced to mine. He said, I was, he was in pretty good shape at that point, but they barely fed. They're barely given water. The water they're given is not the cleanest water. And, you know, the waste in a bucket in, in the room, it barely gets clean. So it's, it's not very healthy situations. But he's lasted longer than most of the other folks that have come in there. Although even at this point, he, his body was giving up. And he thanks them profusely. And again, odd look at Dandy. And then back to the story. They're like, okay, well, glad we could help. Um, do you think that any of the other miners, slaves in there, would be able to help us fight if we needed to? And he's like, I'm sure any chance of hope would make them want to, though I don't know how much use they'd be. Um, much like myself, they're barely able to list the picks and such. Now, because the three that were just brought in may have a little bit more strength. He didn't really get to talk to any of them, but 
Um, the majority of them go see ghosts. They, they wouldn't be of much use to you, but I'm sure they'll try. Most of them would, at this point, want to die anyways. Probably rather go out that way than mine until they, they fall over. And they're like, okay, cool. We're going to take you out of here and drop you off outside in the woods, someplace we can keep you safe, Then we're going to go back down. And he's like, I can't allow that. I'm going to have to go with you. They're like, you can barely walk. He goes, I'm strong enough to walk. And with that, he starts to get up and Artemis helps him a little bit, but he gets to his feet and he's like, he goes, I have to help you. He goes, I'm, he goes, you've saved my life and I'm honor bound to help you. And at this again, he gives Danny the weird look. He goes, my honor states that I must stay with you until either I die or I have, you know, repaid back honor, you know, the whole gun honor thing. I want to say he had a pretty uh, cool speech back at the time, but sadly, I don't have that paper anymore. It got lost in the flood. Um, they're not real happy about it, but he's like, he goes, I may not be, you know, what I normally am, but give me a sword and I'll have your backs. Not much else they can do at this point. Clearly can't make a scene. Shadow's like, we need to do something because time, time is of the essence. And they're like, okay, fine. Um, you know, they have their chest of holding. They both, you know, did they? Did they? Have, they both have a chest of holding. Yes, they both had a chest of holding. That's right. They both had a chest of holding. So they open up their chest of holding. Inside, they had some basic weapons. They give him a. He takes a broadsword, and he takes that. And he's like, okay, this will work. And he takes a dagger. And they have some old clothes. They throw on them. They don't fit real well, but they're you know he's not much bigger than Dandy, but by a foot and a half at this point, she's real small. But he throws some clothes on that at least work. Give him a little bit of stuff. They don't really have any armor that fits him, but he does take a a small shield. And he has that. And the shield, he tries to carry up. He's like, okay, that's too heavy. I'm not going to be able to do that. I'll just two-hand two this, this broadsword. They're like, okay, well, we worst case scenario, we've got another blade here. We'll take it. And they make their way down. Shadow is, of course, up front. He's making his way down. And he's partway down. They go through the room into the nether tunnel, working through. And he's they're partway through when Shadow comes around an edge. And he's almost face-to-face -face with an ogre. An ogre was coming up to finally see... Why the hell this conveyor belt hadn't moved in 30, 40 minutes? Almost an hour at this point. Lazy ogres up there is going to have to go there and thump some skulls, get things moving again. The conveyor at the bottom is filling up. He comes around and he's... They're both shocked at the same time. To just literally come around a corner face to face with an elf. Instinctually, the ogre reaches out to try to grab him. He doesn't have a weapon in his hand. He's got a club with some spikes on it hanging from his belt, but he just reaches out to grab Shadow. Shadow, who is walking with arrows knocked, he had two of them, just lets himself fall backwards and shoots the arrows. And one of them just kind of grazes the ogre's ear, but the other one goes right up under his chin. Ogres have very thick skulls. This does not kill the ogre, but boy does it hurt. And it, dev it also keeps him from being able to yell out. It's almost like it pins his jaw together. And the ogre stops and reaches instinctually. Someone shoots you in the throat. That's not going to be cool. You're going to, he reaches out and grabs it and tries to pull it out. Dropping his bow, because at this point he doesn't need it, Shadow pulls out his swords and just starts going to town on this ogre. The ogre, of course, was occupied with his arrow in his throat. Now he's trying to hold his throat while swipe at this elf that's stabbing at him. And Shadow makes very quick work of him. Again, dual-wielding swords. He draws them fast, and he's pretty vicious with it. And Shadow, when he needs to be, is quite violent. 
His friends have only seen that a couple of times when it's been a serious battle situation. And in those situations, he is, I, I would be, to say, unemotional would probably be the best way to say it. He does the most amount of damage as quickly as possible with very, very precision movements. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't go for injuring hits. If he's in combat, he goes to kill. And he succeeds. The ogre hits the ground very, very quickly. Still choking and gurgling kind of thing, but dying. The friends come around the corner like, oh my god, because they heard that. And he's like, we've got to move fast because there's at least three more up there. We've got to go. They come up to the room. They look around. The one ogre is still sitting back on the chair, half asleep. No sign of the other ogres. They do the same type of process they did before. This ogre's half asleep. They figure they can get in a little bit further. Zaren's going to use a spell. Shadow's going to use his arrows. Dandy's going to try to go away from this fight, up into one of the tunnels, and see if she can let anybody else in there out. See if there's another ogre up the tunnel. If there is, maybe try to slow him down while they take care of the first one. Or, potentially, try to get some of these slaves unhooked. Maybe they, because he, Michael says that they're not specifically chained to anything. But, you know, they don't have the picks and stuff they have. Or blunt, they're not going to be able to take out an ogre. So they can get down there and let them know, hey, we got a chance of saving you. Come out. Maybe they can get some backup. Michael, the thought is, he'll stay there and kind of protect them. But as soon as the fight goes in, Michael just starts moving towards the ogre. Shadow and Zarin are now trying to cast spells and shoot arrows around Michael, who, not very fast, but faster than they would have thought, is just going at the ogre. The ogre gets hit with a couple of arrows and a magic missile right off the bat. This ogre was a little bit bigger, and while it caught him unaware, enrages him, and he, he stands up quickly. And right beside him again is another big wooden club that he grabs. And the arrows are coming, but he's just kind of like hiding his face, and he's coming out to get Michael. Zarin's preparing another spell. Shadow's like, okay, he's going to squish the little guy. I need to help him. Shoots one more arrow and then kind of tosses down his bow and he grabs his swords and starts running behind Michael. Artemis, not knowing what to do, starts moving forward as well. A little bit. She doesn't want to get in front of Zarin. Doesn't want to leave him alone. She's also got to look behind him. She's moving up as well. But Dandy's up in the tunnel. She gets up there. There's a couple slaves. She's quickly, hey, I'm here to get you out. And they're like, what the hell is this young female Kender? if they even know what a kender is from their world. It's like, what is this young girl doing here? And they're like, I'm here to get you out. We're here to save you. They're like, seriously? And they're like, yes, we're here to save you. Come on, you've, you've got to come now, though, because ogres are going to be coming. They look at each other, and they're like, this may be the only shot we've got. Okay, and they grab their little pickaxes and very slowly and sickly start making their way behind Dandy. Michael's up there, and, and very quickly and efficiently is using his sword. He's definitely got skills. Shadow noticed this off the bat. He's very well trained with a blade. If he wasn't in his weakened, emaciated state, he'd probably be pretty, pretty savage. Almost comparable to, to Shadow himself. He's like, you know, in a fight, I think he could give me a decent one. Shadow's very calculating that way. But in his weakened state, he's not moving as quickly as he clearly would have. And while he gets in and he's doing gets a good couple hits on the ogre... Eventually, the ogre does manage to hit him with one of his swings, and Michael kind of goes flying to the side. He managed to brace himself a little bit, but it's still, you heard a crack when it hit his shoulder, and he goes kind of rolling backwards a little bit. Oh, uh, NickGur792 says, hey, what's up? Hello, Nick. Thanks for stopping by the stream. Just talking a little bit of D&D story today. Fighting some ogres right now. Dandy comes out with the three, with the three, uh, they were humans, by the way. They're all men. The three humans. And sees what's going on, just in time to see Michael kind of roll towards her on the feet. That's not good. 
And he sees Shadow stepping into combat with this ogre, and ogre's coming at him. Dandy, now worried that... Because no, it's loud. The ogre's calling out. This is not like the other fights. Clearly, the someone's going to hear this. Dandy tells the other miners, go get the other miners and get them out of here. Numbers are the only shot we've got. We're going to help you. Miners aren't sure what's going on. They don't know how many are in Dandy's force. They just know this could be my only shot. So they go and squeakies again and start bringing the other miners up. Dandy immediately starts making her way towards the ogre that's fighting Shadow now. She quickly looks over to see Michael. He's not unconscious, but he is nursing his shoulder. Doesn't look like he's dying. Good. She moves in further again. Tossing her hoop pack down, she pulls out a couple of her daggers and very, very quietly tries to kick around and get behind him. The ogre has got cut up several times from Shadow. Shadow's got some good hits in. But the ogre manages to snag a lucky hit himself. This ogre, a little bit better fighter than some of the other ones. And while he's hurt and he's already been injured, he's very angry. His adrenaline's kicking, almost like a berserk rage. And at one point, Shadow's taking a slash. The ogre doesn't even think. He just reaches out and grabs the sword, and it cuts deep into his hand. Blood starts flowing down his hand. But Shadow, that sword's cut. It's stuck. It's, it kind of breaks. And with the other hand, the ogre just... with his club and hooks Shadow right on the side of the head. Shadow just goes down. Hits him away that Shadow's unconscious. Hits the ground. I do want to point out that in this situation, because I remember it distinctly, that ogre rolled a natural 20. I want to be aware of that. He rolled a 20 in this adventure. Because in my adventure, the bad guys get natural 20s as well. And they also get ones. I've had many, many themselves. Uh, just a quick aside in this moment. I have custom-made critical hit and critical fumble dice. If you roll a 1, you roll the critical fumble dice. says what bad happens. Roll 20, roll the critical hit dice, says what good happens. Some sides won't count depending on the fight you're in. Obviously, you're not going to sever limb from a gelatinous cube. But in this situation, roll the 1, roll triple damage, shadow's down. Michael, back up again, making his way, doesn't see Dandy making her way behind him, goes in to try to protect shadow, because the ogre is obviously going to try to squish shadow now that he's down. Zarin fires another shot of magic missiles. He wants to whip a fireball out, but it's too many of his allies mixed in this chamber, all in one area. He knows he's going to do way more damage. He's got several good, powerful spells of that nature, but they're all very area of effect. It's much harder for him to use them in these situations. They're great when you're shooting across the room normally. Which kind of was a consideration they would have done had there not been slaves in this room that might have been caught in the side of fire, or Michael running in. Michael goes in to try to protect Shadow, although his one arm is almost useless, where he got hit in the shoulder, and he's trying to wield the sword of the other one, but he's not very strong, so he's real slow. The ogre, sensing the opponent in front of him is not very capable, moves in quickly for the kill. And, instead of walking forward, falls forward to his knees. His legs not directly responding to him. Dandy had successfully got behind him, and cut the tendons on the back of his legs. She has very sharp knives. Remember, at the beginning, I mentioned she was sharpening them. The ogre falls to his knees in pain, tendons on the back of his legs cut, and Michael manages at that point to just kind of stab with his sword. It's not the strongest hit, but it does some damage. It scores, punctures the ogre's lung. Still wouldn't be enough to kill him, but from Michael's point of view, even on his knees, the ogre is still taller than Michael. 
And up over his shoulder, she sees, he sees Dandy come up with the dagger, and she just starts stabbing him in the side of the neck. The ogre's trying to reach her, but he can't. Michael stabs again. Within just a moment, a couple of hits, the ogre goes down. Artemis, Zarin come running up. Artemis immediately sees the shadow. Casts some healing spells, gets him up again. A lot of her spells are gone at this point. She used a lot of them on Michael that she normally would have been holding on to for these type of situations. She uses majority of what she has left and just natural healing. She, you know, she's got some herbs and salves and stuff in her bag, things that she can use uh, to help. Um, but clearly, you know, they keep running into fights like this. They're not going to have a lot of healing left over. But Shadow's able to get up, and while he's still a little sore, he's okay. Nothing major broken. It was more of a, a bit of a concussion kind of thing. He's still got a throbbing in the side of his head. Michael, at the same time, his shoulder had been um, popped out of the socket, but it didn't seem to break anything. Um, Shadow had to pop that back in. That wasn't fun to listen to. But, you know, Danny's like, ew, gross, you know. Artemis, of course, in there, she does her healing and such, what she has. And they're like, he was loud, and no one's come out. That means one of two things. Either A, whatever's in there is really far away and didn't hear him. Or two, whatever's in there did hear him, and they're waiting. The human miners are all coming up saying, oh my god, look at all you guys. What's going on here? So on and so forth. Oh, I have a question real quick. Pause here. Neon says, as a cleric, she gets channels, yeah? Are they of an appropriate level for her to be able to use them? Um, yes, as a cleric, again... Using sec, I play second edition, which is a little bit different than some of the more modern versions. What clerics get in second edition is spell spheres. There are all spells for clerics are in different spheres, and depending on what god you worship, you have either major access to a sphere or minor access to a sphere. If you have major access, then you can cast any spell within that school, with a sphere, that you're level capable to, to cast. In a school that you only have minor access to, you can never cast spells over third level, regardless of how powerful you are. Third level spells is the most that you have. So, while she's a cleric of healing, she has full access to the healing sphere. She may have full access to the light sphere, which is basically the god of good, the basically betrothed of her god. But the nature sphere, which has some healing spells and things like that, she may only have minor access to. So, her god is still a sibling to the god of nature. That's kind of how I work that out. So she has minor access, but she doesn't directly worship that god, so she only has minor access to those. So in that regard, um, what spells she can cast in those spheres depends on her level. As she levels, she gains more spells of the level she has, and eventually can cast spells of the next level. So it's very pyramid-like. Um, you get to a certain level, now I can cast one-fourth level, two, uh, third level, four, second level, eight, one level, you know, so it's like a diamond. Same with wizards. Wizards are almost the same. A specialty wizard can only do a special school of magic, whereas a generic wizard can use all of them. Depending on how you play, there can be some restrictions there. It's up to your DM. So that's second edition magic. So she has mostly healing and light spells. She's got a lot of blessed spells, a lot of anti-undead spells. She's got a lot of that stuff. Being of the healing, death is her nemesis. So she has a lot of anti-undead stuff. Uh, none of that's really affected the story yet, so a lot of those cool spells she's got just aren't useful in these situations. I'm going to have to pull her spell sheet out. I still got it. I'm going to pull that out tomorrow for the next one so I can give some specific ideas of some of her spells. Um, but, they're like, okay, what are we going to do now? I'm like, alright, we need to carry on. 
They say to the miners, you need to get out of here. Like I said, there's about nine or ten of them. The last couple that got in, they've literally been here a few hours. They don't know what's going on. They're beat up a little bit. They were captured. But they're in a little bit healthier situation. They're like, here, grab these picks. Grab what, what you can as a weapon. Get out to the forest. You know, if you go and give them the direction, go the directions we came. There were no ogres there. In the woods, you should hopefully be able to find some stuff. It's not real cold out. It's fall. You know, we saw things growing on trees. You can get out there, get you some food, try to make your way to some type of civilization. They try to get Michael to go with them. Michael says he can't. He's still honor-bound to stay with them. Like, ah, you kind of saved us. He's like, nope, doesn't work like that. I'm with you guys. The other miners are like, well, we're not going to argue. We're getting the hell out of here. So they go booking it up again as quickly as they can because they know these other last two ogres that are out wandering around out there could return at any time. So they move very, very quickly to get out of here. Our heroes, if you will, plus Michael, group of five now, they're like, okay, we need to move forward as quickly as we can. If something's in there waiting for us, let's get in there and deal with it. Artemis, real quick, spins a little necklace. Sure enough, shines right down the tunnel. That was the more lit one that the ogre was not originally walking in at of. Whatever we're here is in that room. It may know we're coming. We don't have a lot of options. So they go in there and they walk their way in and they come into, as they're walking, the ground becomes almost a little bit more um, stoned. And I don't mean like stone, stoned as in like different stones, like a pathway. Like it was originally laid as a stone pathway. And instead of rock, there's areas that are dirt. Once again, very quickly, this is a chunk of land that might not have been underground before the merge. And as they're moving through, they can see that rock has been cleared away from this and pulled aside. Probably the mining started here. And ahead of them, in a small chamber, they see, not pedestals, but the columns, thank you, the columns that would normally hold up a roof in like an Olympian kind of thing. And it appears there's a temple of some kind in here. It looks like a temple-style building. may not be a temple. Artemis isn't sensing any godly influence of healing or not healing or any of the gods from it, but it has that kind of look about it. And it's partially buried in the, the cave wall. You know, it's buried in the rock itself, but the entrance has been cleared and there's light coming from inside. Like, well... No time like the present. They start making their way forward. And they walk their way in. And they get near the end and Shadow and Dandy are first. Dandy's moving ahead of them, checking to make sure there's no traps laid. That is a skill that Dandy has as a thief. She can look for traps. Uh, she has a pretty good chance of finding them. If she does, she may be able to disarm them. Um, at the same time, Artemis is using her ability. She does have the ability to detect magic to make sure there's no magical traps around. Uh, Zarin has spells, but he doesn't want to waste his spell energy on detect magics. He's saving his for more offensive, because he's feeling, you know, they all do, there's probably another fight. We know there's at least two more ogres that are supposed to be down here. Um, the way that I do magic, and again, I'm, I'm stepping aside from this, but it makes it's going to make a little more sense in the story as we, we progress with magic, is a little bit different than the traditional second edition. The traditional second edition at the beginning of your day, if you're a wizard, you study what spells you want to have. If you're a cleric, you pray for... It's a little bit different. You can you, you can cast a certain amount of spells from those schools, as we talked of earlier. But for wizards, they have to memorize certain spells. I don't like that. Never been a fan of that. 
Um, definitely when wizards get up to the very powerful level, then that makes sense. But especially in the early to mid game, which for a lot of players never get past that. Characters die or groups fall apart. I want people to enjoy it. So I use the same kind of wizard systems I do for clerics. I do spell points. So if you have four first level spells that you cast a day as a wizard, you can cast the same spell four times. You can cast two different spells twice. You can cast four completely different spells. If you know that spell... You, can ca you have that much, basically, magic energy, uh, akin very much to video games like mana or magical energy. You have enough to be able to cast, strengthen you to cast that many spells. Um, and so I use a spell point system. So you may see Xeranoth, I know I can cast four more of these spells today. So I could use one to detect magic, or I could save that for a magic missile, which may be more beneficial. Artemis has a, has a detect magic spell that's not going to interfere with her ability to heal. It's better for her to use that spell, and a lot of times she does so that Zarin can save his spells for more offensive or, or important things. At least in this early game, until she starts getting some more badass skills herself. Spells and such. So I wanted to cover that because it will be important as we see how magic works moving forward. So they're making their way into the temple, and... They're starting to move quietly, quickly, and, and Artemis is the first one to, to call out for them to stop. And they're all a little caught by that. What would Artemis know that they don't? And she says, I finally can sense something from in here. And they're like, okay, what is it, magic? And she goes, no, I'm sensing death. And they're like, you smell dead people? You see dead people? Is this a sixth sense kind of thing? And she's like, no, I sense the essence of death and suffering and disease. She goes, this temple was not originally dedicated to that, but whatever's ahead of us is a worshiper of sickness. So let me grab my God book here so I can give you some specifics. Grab my list here. So Sherik is the God of famine and disease. Now, you would think that that would be diametrically opposed to the god of healing, but it is not. The god of uh, death is actually diametrically opposed to the god of healing in my pantheon of gods. Uh, but he's still a jerk. You know, and don't get me wrong, uh, famine, disease, pestilence, these things are needed in the world. They sometimes do serve positive things. Forest fire can be bad and good, if you will. Uh, for rebuilding and revitalizing the force. That kind of a concept. But nine times out of ten, he's really just a prick and he causes problems. And this is what she's sensing. The aura, the sense of that ahead of her. Um, which is probably her second uh, most hated god for what she does. You can't heal disease without disease heal. Very true. Circle of life kind of thing there. And again, I, I've mentioned in the past, my world is very much about balance. There's very something that the, the neutral gods are very about balancing, and sometimes they'll team with the bad, sometimes they team with the good, light or dark, if you will. Um, but balance is important. So, moving forward, they're aware of this. Okay. Now they're starting, Zaren's like, okay, there was something wearing black robes that might not have been a mage, that halfling may be a cleric instead. This opens up a whole other set of problems. What he thought he was going to walk into, a potential mage fight, just changed different. Okay, now it's a cleric. That causes problems. I don't have much against a cleric of disease and famine. The only one that does is use most of her healing spells on Shadow 
AKA my personal keeps me alive guy. And this little dude who's barely keeping himself alive. And at this point in this moment of time, I'm thinking was a waste of healing spells that could have been saved for me. This is not good. But at the same time, he wants to get home. The artifact is somewhere ahead of them. They gotta go. Shadow has his arrows knocked. Again, the goal hopefully is to be able to get off a couple of shots before they get in melee with anything, especially if there's a caster. That's going to be his number one target. Zarin's thought will be the exact same thing. If I see a cleric or a wizard, my spells are targeting that, regardless of what else is going on. Because that's my biggest opposing issue. At the same time, they're also cognizant that he's a caster. He also could be targeted the same way, as well as could um, Artemis, who is behind him. And even though she's behind him, she's also very much taller than him. So he's not a good meat shield in front of her. So she's staying kind of behind uh, Shadow at this point. But still, these two are in the front. Normally, Dandy would be in the front. But at this point, Michael's kind of stepped up there because he's literally, and, and they can get this feeling, it's like he's the willing, I'm willing to sacrifice. I should be dead now anyways. If I die saving these people, then I've, I've fulfilled my life's purpose. And that, if you know anything about people who are honorable and in that mindset, can sometimes be more dangerous to your group than beneficial. If you're a martyr, that's not always a good thing. So, they're making their way in, and they get to the edge of this temple, and they're walking up in, and it's well lit at this point. And there's a smell of, of, at this point, now they're starting to smell it, of rot. You know, rot of, of f illed flesh, gangrene, the kind of wounds that would potentially have gone poisoned or infected, that kind of stink. If you've, if you've ever been around someone who's had a serious wound that's infected, it does not spell, smell pleasant. It has a, uh, a sweet smell to it, but a very bad sweet smell. Um, it's very stinky. It's not good stuff. And as they're walking through it, because this thing's one major chamber, and at the other end of it is a doorway. Two doorways, I'm sorry. It's, it's almost like a, a pedestal that's being used as an altar. It was not intended to be one originally. Again, this building was not dedicated to the god of disease. Artemis would have sensed that much earlier. Clerics are very good at sensing they're walking on consecrated ground of any type of religion. Even if they can't say the, the same one, they'll know if it's consecrated or not. This ground was not that. And it's all like a white marble kind of pillars and stuff, which is definitely not the type of color that disease and famine would go for. But very quickly, they can see up on that altar is clearly the what was a human that has is laying back with his arm and is just dissected and the smell is wafting from it and there's just blood all over the altar. It's very gross. Yeah, for some people. And as they're slowly walk forward, two ogres come out of one door, sorry, two ogres total, but each one comes out of one of those two doors. Very well armed. Shadow prepares his bow, but they pull up crossbows, but no one really fires. They're just kind of standing there. Both of them have a crossbow. It's very important. We don't get visitors down here very often, comes a voice from behind the ogres. The ogres step aside a little bit, still training their crossbows on the enemy, which is, you know, the, our guys. And walking out is the little halfling in his black robes. Now they get to see him. His face has boils and pustules on it. His one eye looks like it's red and infected. His fingers are almost skeletal and green. He tips his nails green, but with obviously red of what was blood. And he's, he's like, 
I have to say, I normally don't have new tools delivered to me, but I appreciate it. Granted, if you're here, you've taken out some of my ogres, and that is not good. They work for me, and, well, I pay handsomely for their service. You've cost me a lot of money and a lot of time. Though I can see that you're going to have things that are beneficial to me, maybe worth more. So I'm okay. Do you really think you can kill them? Comes another dark, deep voice. From the, from the passageway, behind the ogres. And stepping out is a drow elf. We're going to see a lot of drow in these stories. Be prepared for that. But unlike a traditional drow, who has long white hair, this drow has black hair. I mean, they look very formidable. He's well-dressed, has good weapons on him. For those of you that have been here before, this is not the same drow that they met down in the bottom. This is a different drow. The other group, a whole different distance away. Not the same drow. And his hair is black, but it's only to his shoulders. It's not quite as long as a normal elf would do. Would you like to see what, they lo what he looks like? I'm now going to show you two pictures. I've been waiting so I could show them to you at this kind of together. I have a picture here, you know, if I can get my mouse working, of what Michael looks like and what this unnamed drow looks like. But you're not going to find out his name right now. First, I'm going to start with Michael. And this is the actor that I chose to represent Michael. This picture, well, this actor, anyways, has been on the uh, OnlyDraven.com website for the last week or so. So you may have got a sneak peek. But this is Michael. Now, in real life, that actor is actually quite tall. Uh, I forget his name. I, I had it, but I forget it, and I apologize. But it's the actor that played Beast in the most recent X-Men movies. Uh, he was also in Mad Max as the bad guy who goes good. Hopefully I didn't spoil your movie there. Um, but that is Michael. That's his picture there. And it's up on the OnlyDraven.com. If you're watching this later, or if you're listening to this on the audio version on iTunes... You can go to OnlyDraven.com. At the very top will be a tab that says Characters. If you go there, it shows all the pictures that I'm referencing right now. As well as any of the pictures I've referenced previously. Nicholas Holt. Thank you very much, Neon. That's his name. Thank you. Nicholas Holt. That is Michael. I'm going to hide Michael. This is the unnamed drow. See if you know this one. Because off the top of my head, I'm forgetting his name too, and I feel bad about it. This is the unnamed drow. This, I, I feel bad because... It's, he's the actor who played um, Hodges. Is it Aldous Hodges' his real name, or was that his character on um, Leverage? He was on Leverage, and he was my favorite character on Leverage. Fell in love with him. He was a phenomenal actor, and as soon as I saw Leverage, I knew I had to work him in somewhere into one of my characters, because he's his just cool attitude. I, I'm a huge fan of him. So I apologize. Either his character is Aldous Hodges, or that's his real name. I'm drawing a blank on which one's which. But he is very awesome. His picture's there. I do not have that one up on OnlyDraven.com. I will put that up uh, here within just the next few minutes of the stream ending, so you'll be able to see that. That is the actor. Okay, yes. Yeah, Aldous Hodge, that is the actor then. Thank you very much. So Aldous Hodges is our unnamed drow. I'm going to go ahead and hide that picture again. Get rid of that. Okay. Aldous Hodge. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Great actor. I, I love him in everything I've ever seen him in. Although mostly Leverage is where I, I truly fell in love with him. He's just such a great actor. Very versatile. So, that's the... And he, 
and the little halfling looks at him with a little bit of contempt. Do you doubt my powers? Have I not shown you what I'm capable of? The drow smiles. Yes, yes, I've seen your spells. I've seen your toys. But these are a little bit different. Our characters, our friends here, watching this exchange, watching the ogres, do we attack now? They're looking at each other. They obviously can't talk. Do we wait and see what happens? It's two ogres, a cleric of death and decay, and a drow of something. That's formidable. That's four versus our five. And one of our five is a really weak dude, and we're running low on spells, and Artemis can't do a whole lot in combat except her whip. And if she's in close enough range to use her whip, we've probably already lost. Our drow goes, Fine, I'm going to leave you to them. And he looks at the characters and he says, I was told to watch for you, and I know why you're here. But you're too late. I already have it. And my master will have all of them. Before the characters can speak, he turns and walks back out the doorway. This is disconcerting. They know what he meant. He knew what they were there for. Clearly, he's aware of the artifacts. He is serving whatever the darkness is that's also looking for them. And what was most disconcerting is that whatever that darkness is knows they're looking for them too. So our big bad, if you will, is aware of the characters. And his minions or servants, which at this point appear to be a drow and at least one halfling cleric of some kind and a bunch of ogres, are also seeking these out and are watching for them. You've caused me no end of trouble already. I'm tired of you being here. I will take great pleasure in watching your skin boil and bubble. Kill them and get this over with. The ogres, of course, immediately open fire with their crossbows. Shadow, with his arrows, unleash at the exact same time. Zarin, ducking down behind a... because Imagine this very much like a church. There are pews, if you will, that led up to the front of the altar. Some of them are broken and knocked over, but several of them are still standing. Ducks behind one and pulls Artemis with him. And then begins this, the beginnings of casting a spell. Dandy starts throwing some daggers, and she's just quickly bouncing back and forth. But before she does, she literally, surprisingly, pushes Michael to the side, and he stumbles, because he's still weak, and falls behind a pew himself. Because that boy's just a target at this point. He's not moving quick enough to dodge these things. Shadow's fast, but even he has a hard time dodging arrows. Dandy, on the other hand, she's that quick. Incredibly agile. And she, as normal, starts running right towards the ogres. Because she knows, especially when fighting a large thing like that, her small, fast nature, if she can get in close, makes it very hard for them. Because obviously they're not going to be shooting a crossbow down at their foot. And if they do reach for their clubs, which they have, which one of them does, drops his crossbow. Actually, they both do, I'm so sorry. Crossbows are not quick to load. They drop their crossbows, pull out their clubs, and start moving forward. If she can get in close range, they're going to have a very, very hard time hitting her. And she may not be doing a whole lot of damage, nicking with her little daggers, or even poking with her hoopack, but it's definitely enough to maybe keep their attention off the others, allowing them to do what they need to do. So, 
Let me grab that. Sorry, I'm getting some notifications here. <laughs> I, someone asked a question on one of my videos I posted today. Um, so she goes running in. Shadow fires a couple rounds of arrows. Luckily, the arrow that was shot at him barely hits him. It just bounces off of a piece of his leather armor. Uh, more shock than anything else. It has a good kick behind it, so it kind of knocks him a little bit. But it doesn't puncture it. Luckily, where he hit, he had some armor on. And he, dropping his bow, draws his swords and comes in after Dandy. He could have probably fired a few more arrows, but he doesn't want Dandy up close with two of these things by herself. Michael, catching wear himself, pulling himself back up, grabbing his sword off the ground, starts stumbling for them as well, wanting to get involved, but definitely several steps behind Shadow and then Dandy, who's up front. Artemis has a blessing spell that she's trying to cast, which should aid her party. Those who are allies will um, be a little bit... Uh, best way to explain this. Hopeful. And with that courageous, and with that, you know, with, with the light of that easiness, with that blessed spell, beneficial. For stats-wise, it gives them bonuses to hit and bonuses to defense, if you're looking at the statistics. But it's, it's a spell that basically blesses them with the God's blessing, helping them in their endeavors. That reminds me, there's an important thing I have to tell you about before we finish today. Let me write that down here. One moment. Okay, I got that on my little notebook here because there's something important I got to talk about later. Okay. Dandy and Shadow come into combat with the ogres. At that time, the little cleric is casting his spell directly towards Shadow and Dandy and his own ogres because he's a jerk. Now, as he's casting his spell, it's interrupted by flashes of light that strike him and knock him backwards a few steps. Zarin had hit him successfully with his magic missile spell. His last magic missile spell. Irritated, the halfling has now drawn his attention towards Zarin and Artemis. Artemis, still tucked in behind the bench, says, okay, the casters... This is where I'm going to have to go. And he starts beginning casting a spell of his while Zarin's trying to do the same. Dandy and Shadow are in melee combat. Michael finally catches up. Shadow is fighting one ogre. Dandy and Michael are fighting the other. Dandy's in a really, really hard situation because she's trying to move and be quick and stay out of the ogre's hits while at the same time trying to make sure she keeps enough attention on her being that irritating that he doesn't go after the easier to hit Michael who actually can do more damage than Dandy with a single hit if he can score a good one. And he's skilled, he's just weak. And he's already taken some more injuries since then. But he's managing to get in a few hits as well, but he's gotten knocked back and bumped a little bit where he's definitely, he's not taking a little bit of damage, but not enough to really take him out. Dandy so far has been lucky to be relatively unscathed, but half of what she would be using to attack, she's now having to use to half dodge and defend Michael. Again, the boy's becoming a bit of a liability. Shadow, easily holding his own. His two swords, he's able to kind of... He, he, you don't block an ogre's club. When an ogre's club's coming at you, you just get out of the way. Even Shadow, with his strength and two swords, that ogre club is just going to knock him over. So it, it's all about dodging and stabbing and trying to, you know, when the, when the club is up, to try to knock it back further and then getting in. I'm, I'm bad at acting out the combats. In my head, it makes way more sense. So I apologize if the combat description is not real beneficial. I tried to get relatively good at it. But he will, when, when an ogre does his swing and it's at the end of the arc, Shadow's object at that point is to use one of his swords to knock it further, knock him off balance. 
If I'm swinging with a club like this, this side is now unprotected. That's when I stab with my other sword to hit the ogre in his stomach. So knocking that, but oh, as it comes back down, he's dodging, knocking aside, trying to do the same thing again. He's trying to use the momentum of that club to keep the ogre off balance by helping pushing it. Instead of blocking it, he's literally dodging and pushing it along with it. Um, it's a very common combat statistic that he uses in fights against large things because um, he's fought big things. We'll find more about that later. But he has fought and will fight big things. So it's a very common thing that he'll use that momentum against it. One of his two sword attacks, he'll use to do that while you attacking with the other sword. So this combat rolls on. Dandy manages to get a good stab. Right above the right to the side of the knee on the one ogre, enough that he falters a little bit. Michael is in a spot where that club is coming. And it's coming towards Dandy. Dandy got that good hit, but she's about to get thumped on the head. Michael, without thinking, moves to the side, practically bumping her over, and takes the brunt of the hit. Now he sees it coming. So he brings his arm up. He's got a sword. He brings his arm up, and that, but that club still hits him on the side, partly on the side of his arm, partly on his rib. And again, you hear a crack as his body's like a baseball. He just goes out of the way. Dandy, off balance, rolls backwards up onto her feet and quickly comes back in. Doesn't have time to look at Michael. The ogre's off balance, and she manages to scoot between his legs from behind. And as she's doing, she stabs up into the groin area. That gets his attention. As it would, I think, pretty much anybody else. The ogre then turns around to stab down at Dandy. Because now, the ogres are facing opposite directions. Shadow's on one side, but Dandy's on the side of the cleric. Who, at this point, has just shot a spell out towards Zarin. Zarin was casting a spell of his own, and he, mid-spell, has to make a choice. Do I stop casting my spell and try to get out of the way? A mage stopping his own spell partway through? There's a chance of magic blowback. He could actually hurt himself trying to stop a spell. That magical energy is being released. It's building up. If it doesn't release through the spell, it's got to go somewhere. He may be able to not get hit by the cleric spell, but at that moment, he may do more damage to himself. He makes the decision to finish his spell. And as the wave of... I, I, I'm just going to say it as... Um, mucusy, snot-like substance. It's more yellowish, but it's like an ooh, just kind of like a blanket just goes, hits him. He feels it burning everywhere it touches his hair. As it's coming, he casts his spell, and his spell releases just as it's about to hit him. And he turns his face, but he feels it hit his, his face, and, he's, ah, and he gets knocked backwards. Because it's forceful, but he feels it burning on him. Now, luckily, he was a mage. He wears robes, so a lot of his body's covered. But his hands and the side of his face and stuff, he burns and he falls to the ground. But his spell, which, if you're not familiar with it, is an arrow of acid, has a special name, Melf's Acid Arrow, unleashes that spell, shoots forward, and literally gets the cleric right in the chest. Now, it's like a crossbow bolt in your chest. Even though it's an arrow, it's really more like a bolt. It doesn't kill him, but it definitely goes into his chest and he starts having a hard time breathing. He's coughing and he kind of leans on one of the pews. It's potential that where it is, maybe damaging his lungs, but he's coughing, he's not talking, which means right now, he's not casting spells. Artemis not knowing what else to do, charges around the pews towards the cleric. 
the ogres are fighting her two here or you know, characters, the other guys, right in the middle of the, the pews. She goes around the outside, around the outside, around the outside, and charges towards the cleric. The cleric, seeing her coming, reaches in and pulls out a sickle-looking blade. The top and bottom. So imagine almost like a, a sickle blade on the top and the bottom like that. You could slash either way. And it's dripping with some type of yellowish-green ichor. Maybe the same stuff that he just hit Zarin with. She has her staff. And they enter into melee combat. Because he's still choking. He's in pain. He can't talk. She doesn't really have any offensive spells. These are two people who don't do melee combat who are stuck in melee combat. I laughed greatly when this actually happened in the game. At this time, Dandy is getting her ogre coming closer, swinging, and she's backing up. She knows she's getting closer to what's going on behind her. She doesn't know Artemis is there, or else she'd be freaking out right now. That's going on. But she does know the cleric's banner, and that's going to be an issue. And she hears the cleric's spell release. Bracing herself, she throws herself to the side thinking the spell may be coming at her. The ogre puts his hands up, wondering what's happening, because why would she do that? But the spell, of course, was targeting Zarin. So neither hits them. The ogre, turning, Danny's laying on the ground between the two pews. He starts trying to club and get her. Now again, it's a big club. She's rolling between the pews. He's smashing them, trying to get her. But she's on the ground, and while she's quick, she's in a bit of a not-good spot. There's not a lot of room to stand up. If she takes the time to get up, She's opening herself to being hit by this big club. So rolling back and forth and, and trying to do it is their best thing. But he's smashing the pews, giving her less and less room to roll between, causing piles of rubble. He's doing that. Shadow successfully takes down his ogre. Took a few hits. He took a few small, few small hits himself, but was eventually able to sever the hand that was one of the hands of the ogre, and the club fell to the ground. The ogre grabs his hand like, oh my god, my stump, you know, like a, you know, kind of a Star Wars, oh no. And then, at that point, of course, Shadow runs him through. And then turning, going to help Dandy. Again, he's locked in his combat, trying to see what's going on. He's still dealing with his own combat. The ogre smashes another pew next to Dandy, and it's about to squish her. She's running out of places. She goes to get back up, but at that point, swords pierce through the ogre's chest and he screams, you know, very, very dramatic scream. And both Shadow and Michael are stabbing him from the back. That actually happened. They both did a very good role. It was very, it was a very cool visual that I didn't have to actually completely come up with myself. It was a very good role. But stabbing them both through the, the ogre through the back, the ogre falls forward and Danny's like, <gasps> and she manages to roll mostly out of the way, still gets parried a little bit, they have to pry him off. Michael's doing that. Shadow Without skipping a beat, knows Danny's okay enough, he's got to help Artemis. He starts running towards them. The sickle that the little halfling is using snags Artemis' staff and pulls it from her hand. And even though he's having a hard time breathing and he's kind of slow, he's physically actually a little bit stronger than Artemis is. He's in good shape for a rotting, pustule, pus-bleeding kind of cleric of pestilence. And he sees what she is. He knows that she's a cleric of healing and he does not like that. She doesn't like him. It's mutual. He starts marching coming forward. She's kind of in a corner. There's not much place for her to go. And he's coming forward with that. Gonna stab her. She doesn't have a dagger. The only thing she has is her whip. 
She reaches down and grabs that and starts whipping at him. Now, Artemis at this point, she's pretty good with her whip, but it doesn't do a lot of damage. It definitely hurts him. It slows him down a little bit, but it's not stopping him. This is a type of being who lives every day in pain and suffering. It's the price he pays to worship his god. He knows he'll be rewarded in the afterlife for the more decay and famine and such that he spreads. He lives with these sores as a mark of, of his honor, that, of, of worshiping this god. So little smacks of whips against him while irritating. Nothing compared to the pain he put himself through by accepting the service of his god. Name Sherik. I forgot that. I had to go back. <laughs> So he comes in again, he's just kind of batting away with that, and he's getting closer. Artemis, not knowing what else to do, whips down and kind of at his feet. Now this, she's not an Indiana Jones-style character. It's not going to wrap around his leg and pull it up and cool like that. She does not have that kind of skill with the whip. I want to point that out. If you're thinking that was going to happen, it's not going to happen. But it does hit him in the foot. He's wearing sandals. It's enough to catch him off guard a little bit that he stumbles backwards. Into Shadow. Shadow is very protective of his friends. With a clean swipe of the sword, the little man's head just rolls off his shoulders. And the body crumbles to the ground, immediately turning into a bubbling pile of flesh. It's at least in sort of popping and such, and quickly grabbing Artemis, they get away from that, and it doesn't explode, but it does burst. And the body melts into just this stinking pile of messy flesh and organisms and just stink. Michael's got Dandy out at this point. Again, she wasn't super really hurt, so she was able to help, though she's not strong. He helps her up. At this point, Artemis is like, <laughs> Neon says, yuck. Yes, very yuck. They take a look at like, maybe like Zarin, and they go rushing to Zarin. He's on the ground and he's hurt. And you can see that there's some burn marks on his on his skin. And Artemis immediately starts using the last healing spells that she has. She knows that some of her friends have taken injuries as well, but she's got to help Zarin. And she manages to heal his hands up, which is good. It mostly just got the back of hands and arms. Like I said, he was casting his spell, and luckily it didn't damage his fingers, which is very important. Um, very much like um, a, a good example of that would be... Um, Doctor Strange movies, if you've watched any of the Marvel movies. You know, your fans, your fingers get messed up. You can't do all the intricate stuff that a spell needs to do. Clearly, he could in that movie, but it's the same idea of him as a doctor. His fingers and his ability to speak are kind of his lifeline. His hands are... But there is some damage done to his face. Artemis manages to heal most of the wounds, but the acid hit him more in the top. And literally, as she's trying to heal him, his left eye pops the acid had got into it and behind it and the, the, the pestilence, the disease, and popped his eye. And it's literally what's left of it is just kind of hanging out of his face. And he's screaming. He's in pain. Artemis uses every last healing spell she has. She's been able to close up the wound mostly, although it's still very weak and uh, discolored. Being got a cleric of healing, she goes into her bag, pulls out some the roots and herbs that she basically forces into his mouth, makes him chew. Even though he's in pain, he's doing what he's told. He knows enough to listen to her. It helps numb the pain, but it does make him kind of loopy out of it. This is an herb that I have in the game that I'll talk about a little bit more later, but it is, it's like a root herb that will numb pain, but it literally makes you a bit loopy. 
So it's like a like a good pain reliever would, you know, very often even in our own world. And it does have addictive uh, problems. Is that important? <laughs> Let's see if you remember that. But he chews on some of this, and the pain numbs out, but he gets a little bit lightheaded. She heals enough that the wound closes, but she can't heal the eye. It's beyond her capability at this point. She's not strong enough to be able to do that. Her spells aren't that. Even if she had all her spells, she likely wouldn't be able to rebuild an eye. She's just not that high a level of the cleric yet. But she is able to heal it up, so at least it closes over most of the way. Even though it's still got some discoloration, it's still bleeding and leaking a little bit. They've killed all. We don't know where the drow is. Shadow seeing that this is being taken care of. Kai's to go look around, make sure there's no other enemies around here. Looking around, he doesn't find it. He gives a very wide berth to that puddle of halfling. Because even getting close to it, he can smell the sickness on it. And he's afraid if they stay in this room much longer, whatever that is might infect them with something worse. Seeing that there's a passageway through those doors, he's like, the drow's that way. He, quick, he can't search the halfling. It's a mess. He goes to Artemis. He goes, I know you're busy. I need you to spin your amulet. I need to know where to go. Is it here? I need to find it. She quickly pulls it out and spins it. And of course, it leads out the door to which the direction the drow went. Shadow, fully expecting this to happen, says, we must go quickly. Every moment we're here, we run a risk of more ogres showing up or that disgusting thing infecting us with something worse. Many of us are already weak and injured. We have to get out of here before we, something worse happens. So Michael and Dandy helping each other and Artemis and Shadow helping Zarin up, who at this point is pretty much out of it, a little bit loopy because of, uh, you know, the drug. Um, stronger physically because of the healing spells, but out of it for the pain and such. Artemis is helping him while Shadow kind of goes ahead. They go out through that doorway, and there's a tunnel that leads out and around. And they travel up this tunnel for about 15 minutes. Would have only been five minutes if they didn't have so many people injured and going slow, but they get up to the top. And at the top, they find an iron door. Shadow is very careful about it. He calls the dandy who comes up, checks it to make sure that there's no magical traps on it. Artemis, at this point, has no spells left to try to detect magic. They've got to take a gamble. They open up the door. Opening up the door, the sunlight comes in. And they see that they're up further in the mountain. Not a long ways, but there's a path leading down. And looking down, and the, the sun is just rising. I should say that. It's gloomy. It's not bright sunlight. It's just rising. But there's enough sunlight that you can see. And looking down at the base, there's a, a winding path down at the bottom. They can see six horses. And all of them with drow riders. And one of the, they're at a distance. They can't make up. One of them waves. And taking his horse, they take off at great speed. They're out of range for Shadow to shoot any arrows at this point. They're too far away. They don't have horses. They have nothing they can do but watch the drow with what they're assuming is an artifact take it going off into the distance, heading further to the west. Not much can be done about it. They'll have to try to catch up with them later. At this point, Shadow's like, okay, at least we know there's no threats right here. We need to get to safety. So the friends they make their way down the rock, the mountain. It's very slow going. There's a path there, but it's not a very good one. They finally get to the bottom. They get near some trees. Like, okay. They, they set up a little camp area. They're going to have to rest here. Um, Shadow is the healthiest pretty much of all of them at this point. He's going to take primary of the watch. But Artemis, they're all going to kind of rest and do what they can. They figure they're going to have to spend at least a day here. They hate being this close to the doors for fear that other ogres or something else may come by. But they're just not in shape for long-range travel at this point. 
They don't see any of the other humans from the mines. They can only hope that they got out okay. Uh, they're, they're a good distance from the other... They can tell that they are... If you remember when I said that they were going west, right? So they're going west up and around this thing. They, the, kind of at the tip of it is where they went in, but they're coming out further up here to the, to the northwest. So um, hopefully they went south the direction they originally told them to, and they'll be okay. But our heroes decide they're going to have to make camp rest up, do what they can to try to regain their spells. Zarin's going to need some time to heal, um, and Michael, well, is about ready to fall over himself. So they decide at this point they're going to have to rest, and then as soon as they can, they're going to have to try to find a way to track down that drow, because they have complete faith he has one of the artifacts. And he's taking it to the darkness that they do not want to have it. And that's where I'm going to call it for the day. That's where I would have called it. We were like five minutes short. The stream kicked us. (laughs) So uh, just a little bit of uh, finishing up. There is one last Dungeon Dragon style thing that I want to mention about the world. And this isn't coming into play now, but it may come into play later. Divine Intervention. I assume most people understand what that term means. When a god or holy being directly intervenes into your situation. When I play Dungeons & Dragons, every character, regardless of what class they are, whether they're a warrior or a cleric, whatever, if they worship a god, everyone has the ability to pray and ask for divine intervention. Okay? You can literally only try one time and pass or fail. You can't try again until you've gained another level. So it's something you save for a situation and you don't even know if it's going to work because you have a 1% chance of it succeeding per your level. So if you're a 5th level warrior and you worship the god of war or the god of light, maybe you're you have a 5% chance one time for your god to directly intervene on your behalf. The only exception to that rule are clerics. Not druids or paladins, but straight clerics. They have a 2% chance per level. Because they are direct minions of their god, their god's already relatively in contact with them, giving them spells every day and putting their magic lessons into them, they have a 2% chance, but they still only get to try one time, pass or fail, you don't get to try again until you've gained another level. Until you are more experienced, more in communion with your god, you know, whatever the case may be, that's kind of what the level thing means. I've, I'm now grown closer to my god through my experience and working on my god's behalf. Regardless, I mean, rogues could be, could pray to the god of light, you know, could pray to the god of death, whatever. Assassin could pray to the god of death. Good or bad, Anybody has that chance. They can attempt it one time, then they can't try again until they've gotten a level. So that's something that I wanted to mention. That's the thing I wrote down that I, I talked about earlier when they, they were fighting and such. Um, Artemis did not try to seek divine intervention in this situation. Um, nobody did. It's not something that most people even think of. In the middle of a fight, it's not your first reaction. But um, it is something that is important to the characters and how one of the things that I've, I've put in my homebrew version of the game. Uh, that is a lot of fun. Uh, it's, a, it's a tiny gamble, and on the rare chance that it works, it has some pretty spectacular effects depending on who succeeds. So we'll watch out for that later. 
Uh, but I'm going to call that a day for there. If you do have any quick questions you want to throw into the chat about anything we went over today or a previous stream, please throw those in there. I'll give a minute to see if anybody has any. Uh, while that's going on, I'm just going to talk a couple things. Um, if you enjoyed the stream, you had a good time here today, um, you liked it, I appreciate if you wouldn't mind clicking the like button. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button. Um, that way you can see all my videos, tutorials, and streams as they come out. You can also go to OnlyDraven.com, my website, where you'll see my streaming schedule, uh, links to all my videos, as well as all the Merge World videos. Um, you'll also be able to see uh, all my social um, platforming networks, Facebook, Instagram. You can follow me on any of those if you'd like. I try to be active, especially on Twitter and Facebook. Um, you also find all the different information about Merged Worlds, uh, like all the different character photos that we talked about. So you can see a lot of those there as well. Um, if you'd like to be able to listen to this again, maybe you don't have time to sit and watch two hours of me yapping on video, you can go to iTunes. Uh, Merged Worlds is available as a podcast. The first five episodes are up. This one will be up tomorrow. Um, even though it's going to show up as two videos on the channel, I will edit this into just one audio file. So episode six will just be one. But on the website, if you're watching this, there's a six and a 6.5 if you're watching the video version of it. But on the uh, audio podcast, that should be up by tomorrow. I have it. I like to have it up within 24 hours. Uh, so expect that if you'd like to listen to it, as well as any of the previous. Um, if you're checking out the podcast, it'd be great if you did. If you wouldn't mind giving it a rating. Um, you know, if you want to leave a review, that would be awesome as well. If you, if you enjoy it, it'd be awesome. I'm uh, trying to point more people towards the podcast. Hopefully it's convenient for people. Um, but regardless whether you're watching this live while I'm streaming, watching the video later, or listening to me on... Um, iTunes, I appreciate everybody who comes by um, and listens to this story and gives me feedback and kind of play, runs along with me. Uh, the story means a lot to me. I've said it many times, um, and it's really a big honor to be able to share it with, with everybody out there. I've been doing this story for over 25 years, um, and it's something I'm happy to finally get out to other people. Uh, but that being said, I am going to go ahead and call this one a day. Thank you all very much for watching and coming by today. I really do appreciate it, and I look forward to giving you more story, more Merged World, uh, two weeks from now. Uh, we'll be doing it on Sunday, 8 p.m., two weeks from now. So thank you all very much for coming by. I appreciate it. Hope you all have yourself a great evening.